Hello there, new recruits, and welcome to the Dub Talk Counter Ghouls. Now, before we get into the fact that you've been specially selected to have an experimental procedure done to you, let's go over the details of your enrollment into the DTCG and some side effects that may occur as of surgery. What, you didn't know there was surgery? Anyway, you may experience strong language and situations and that you should be advised. You can't go around scaring other recruits who aren't ready for it yet. Remember that you may also spoil any and all series, but mostly the Tokyo Ghoul anime is a manga, and that should, everyone should be aware that you spout those spoilers. So viewer discretion is advised. And finally, remember any and everything you say will reflect you and the individual participants and not the DTCG as a whole. Oh, I'm so sorry. I never introduced myself. I'm Regina, and I'm your new mentor and trainee, and- Regina, acknowledge me. You know no matter how far you go, you'll never be able to be rid of me. Even if you stand those sword boys, you'll never be free of Tokyo Ghoul. And welcome to Dove Talk. <laughs> and welcome to. Dad, you want to try again? You I had could... one job. <laughs> you had one job. And you failed. Do you want to start over? <laughs> I feel like. I don't just keep that part of the file. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. We're starting the episode now. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dove Talk, the show where a group of CCG members get together, <laughs> polish our Quinn K's, and talk about how we mutilate ghouls. No. <laughs> I've got a chainsaw. <laughs> no, hello, everybody, and welcome to Dove Talk, the show where a group of uh, half-human hybrids get together, drink some coffee, cry over dead bodies, and talk about the latest and greatest in anime dubs. My name is Megan, and if you haven't guessed, it's another goddamn fucking Tokyo Ghoul episode, and like hell I wasn't hosting it! You would have had to pull it from my cold, dead hands! No Joining one's gonna tonight, stop you! I let her host it. <laughs> Joining me tonight are my so totally- <laughs> Stop fucking interrupting me, mom. I will take your Sorry. box wine. <laughs> I will take your box wine and and bad erotica. No, I'm gonna take my Mountain Dew and grab my box of tissues and go cry in a fucking corner right now. Ah, uh, it's a Tokyo Ghoul episode. If everyone's traumatized and <laughs> everyone else is traumatized, and I'm sitting here laughing about a man taking a chainsaw to the noggin. <laughs> anyway, tonight I have with me the other two OG hosts reuniting for a franchise that kind of brought us all together. Pretty much. We're not quite making a full circle, but it's like like an eighty percent circle. At so, least we yeah. won't need to retcon this like like the show did its entire second <laughs> season. Such retcon. Much retcon, <laughs> such sorrow. Wow. Anyway, with anyway. me tonight I have Stephanie and Hardy. What's up? Hey, I could talk about this show now. Yay! Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm gonna jump in here for a second. So Obviously, we're talking about Co Tokyo Ghoul Re. I was about tonight. to say, were you saying we're talking about Code, Co Code Geass Re? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Lelouch of the Ghoulbellion. No, no, no. 
so here's the thing. He's already so, got one red eye. Shut the fuck up. So typically here on the podcast, we don't really talk about sequel shows. Tokyo Ghoul Re is a very special exception for three reasons that they actually coincide with each other. Reason number one, when we talked about the show originally, like three years ago, is it now? Almost we only ago, had yeah. one episode to go off of, and it was of season two. Which leads us to reason number two. Since that episode, we've had a season one and a full season two. Which leads me to reason number three why we're, we're coming back to the show. Hardy now can contribute more to the fucking series. Yay, I know who these people are now. <laughs> he understands. Because if you don't remember previously, his only experience with Tokyo Ghoul when we recorded... Was the first episode of Route A. Was the first episode of Route A, and that's it. Hardy's like, who is this gimp? Why is he fighting another gimp on this? Why is this girl crying? Glassy sky above. What are all these things? Who am I? What am I doing here? Why do I have a sudden craving for coffee? Like, why is Natsu shooting stuff out of his butt? (laughs) Okay, first of all, one, Ayato doesn't have a Bikaku. Get it right. Bikakus come from your butt. (laughs) Anyways. Tokyo Ghoul Re is takes place. Oh God, fuck! Was it like three years after the original series? Two, <laughs> two, two. Thank you, thank you. Taking place it's two years two. after the original series. This is the synopsis from at least the Viz Media release of the manga, which is actually out right now. The Commission of Counter Ghouls is the only organization in the world fighting ghoul, the Ghoul Menace. That's a lie. And it will use every tool at its disposal to protect humanity from the ultimate predator. Its newest weapon in this hidden war is an experimental procedure that implants human agents with Kagune, a ghoul organ of predation, giving them ghoul powers and abilities. But the new, uh, but both the new procedure and the newly formed Quiu Squad or Quink Squad are untested. Will they become heroes or monsters? Hayase Sasaki has been tasked with teaching the Q Squad how to be outstanding investigators. But his assignment is complicated by the troublesome personalities of his students and his own uncertain grasp of his school powers. Can he pull them together as a team, or the Q's first assignment be their last? And by the way, if you're wondering why Hayase Sasuke looks very familiar, it's the world's worst kept secret that that is Kaneki Ken with amnesia. Pretty and much, a bad yeah. dye job. Yes. The worst kept secret of the franchise. There's a couple that are there's a couple that are also pretty bad. But this is the absolute worst. worst. <laughs> anyway, that being said, we are going to be going over the cast and crew of Tokyo Ghoul Re, covering the entirety of the dub of the first season of it. As of the time of this recording, I do say first season as in October of 2018. It is confirmed that a continuation of Tokyo Ghoul Re will happen. I, by the way, as host, had to put together the docket last night. Dear God. There are ten sections to this episode. It's a long haul. It's so going to be a So very for that long reason, episode. we're skipping predictions. Yes. Strap yeah, your so, seatbelts on, kids. Yeah, strap your seatbelts on. Uh, I know I, mean, I, did, I personally made predictions. I've been waiting for this for a couple of years um, since the first and anim- the Route A ended to which... Uh, I'm going to be kind of upfront in this, too. Uh, before we start, if you've read Tokyo Ghoul Re or you've at least watched the anime, I don't know why you're watching this if you haven't watched the anime or the dub. Uh, mm-hmm. There are two characters whose gender identity is 
not only crucial to their character, uh, we are going by the official translation from both Viz Media's manga, which goes up to Volume 5's release at the point of this recording, as well as the official translation from the Funimation dub for Mutsuki. As for the character Kanae, we are going to be using the pronoun they due to the complex nature of their character's gender identity. So, in other words, don't be a D-bag. Yeah. Yes. Basically, we did this in the Apocrypha episode. Follow the Alstofo rule. That's it. Haha. Yeah, and, and side note, considering this is, oh, what, the third fucking season of this entire goddamn franchise, there's going to be a lot of goddamn Yeah, there's going to be a lot of spoilers. Like, a lot. So please, including... be, so please be careful. Please yeah. be careful. Either that or go watch the three seasons and then come back to us. I'm also going to recommend this. Probably read the manga at this point, because the way that Re uh, sets it up, a lot of Rude gets retconned. Yeah, it really does. A lot of Rude gets retconned. So, that being said, we're going to move into the directors and writers of this. There are actually four directors. Five, no, five directors on this show. And two writers. Oh, boy. That being said, a lot of the directors are assistants. Two of them only did one or two episodes because the head director of this franchise was out of the country when this started dubbing. And if I'm right, the first six episodes were same day simuldub? Uh, I believe I believe so. And then uh, it got switched to a yeah, either then it five got or six and then it was a one week delay and, and then, then it, it got became a two, to a two week, week later on. Yeah. So they did simuldub the first six episodes same day like my hero. But mm-hmm. this is Studio Perot who has about the track record of a snail against a cheetah. <laughs> Accurate. So anyway. It's like putting a snail against Usain Bolt riding a cheetah. Not very fast. (laughs) That being said, the main director of the Tokyo Ghoul franchise is one Mr. Mike McFarlane. His assistants slash people who stepped in for him include Josh Greeley, Monica Rial, Aaron Dismuke, and Felicia Angeal. And the two writers of this season uh, credited via ANN. Like I said, it's really hard to navigate the show page for Tokyo Ghoul, by the way. Uh, Funimation, please fix it. Um, Please. The, yeah, the writers of this season were Aaron Dismuke and Monica Rial. As a director, Mike McFarlane also handled both the first two seasons of Tokyo Ghoul, Tokyo Ghoul and Tokyo Ghoul Route A, as well as Barakamon and Attack on Titan. Josh Grilly's assistant directing credits include Seraph at the End and Data Live 2. Monica Rial's directing credits include Claymore, Heroic Age, and Nabari no O. And Aaron Dismuke directing credits include assisting on Enride as well as dire- assisting on Luck and Logic and directing Sugamomo. Felicia Angeal directed series such as Kenka Otome Bon... Uh, K- I get that wrong. Kekka Boncho Otome Girl Beats Boy. Grimgar Ashes and Illusions, otherwise known as Grimgar Fantasy and Ash if you watched it in the simuldub like a homie G. And Chaos Dragon. As a writer, Aaron Dismuke has worked on series such as Hakata Tunkansu Ramens, Nanbaka, and Ninja Slayer from Animation, because Ninja Slayer from Animation is what you think of when you watch Tokyo Ghoul. And Monica exactly. Rial, uh, as well, <laughs> and Monica Rial, uh, also wrote the first two seasons of Tokyo Ghoul, as well as Yona of the Dawn, and because you totally think of this when you think of Tokyo Ghoul, the love tyrant. Nice. <laughs> Well, there is lots of violence and blood in that show, too, so to be fair. Oh, Lord. Lots of disembowelment. And a crazy Yandere that totally gets Andrew hard. (laughs) 
<laughs> I ha Here's the thing, I still haven't seen Love Tyrant and I know exactly what you're fucking talking about. Ah, uh, he's got hard eyes, uh. motherfucker. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, so Hardy staff me is the order. Hardy, go first. Okay, yeah, um, I'll be really quick about it. Uh, it was just as good as the first two seasons. You know, I gave the first season of Tokyo Ghoul a lot of accolades in our first ever W, w Awards, I think. I think, I, if I can remember correctly, I think I gave it dub, home video dub of the year. Yes, you did. You, yeah. I think you did. I think you gave it the home video and then possibly best actor. I think I, I, know, I, think I did best, best director. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as all the returning cast goes, they just sound just as good as they always have. Uh, a few of the new roles, I think I have a bit of issue with, but mm -hmm. overall, it just seems like a pretty respectable return to form. So that's all I really have to say about it. Everything seems like it, like it's just, you know, going as good as it always has. I'm gonna preface this whole thing by saying two different, stating two things. One, I am finally following the manga. I have read the entirety of the original manga and am currently following re, uh, the Viz Media release of it. And uh, two, for the past week, I have rewatched the entire Tokyo Ghoul anime series to prep for today. <laughs> I ju no, just before we recorded this, I watched episode 12 of Re for the first time. She's oh very boy. mad at me for not telling her something. I'm very mad. And I'm going to go cry in a corner. Um, so, a lot of is, a lot of this is like refreshing my memory, and I'm going to be able to like give a better idea of like tracking performances since I have it fresh in my head now. Um, in terms of directing and writing, I... I actually kind of think, if anything, um, Re is probably the strongest that the dub has been to me, uh, direction and writing-wise. Uh, second would be the first season, and then a lot of it is very interesting seeing uh, this how the direction has progressed, especially with the returning cast, because you're seeing how, with especially a handful of these characters, and I'm going to bring this up, how they kind of grow and progress in their own personalities and stories. You also have these new characters coming in, which I'm enjoying a lot, uh, especially especially the cues when we get to them uh, later on. It's going to take a little while to get to the cues. It's going to be a while till we get to the cues. But it, the, the dub is... It's a, it's a return to form but it's also it's also challenging itself and kind of creating something even better than before I feel um, and the show in the show in general also I think is the best that Tokyo Tokyo Ghoul has been so far uh, and shit gets wild coming up oh boy but um as of right now I really like the, the directing and writing on the show um, very, very strong, and I think as of right now, it's my favorite season to date. For me, this is something that has I've wanted for like a long time coming. Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of this franchise. Um, I'll admit, I know what happens in the manga. I've read every chapter of Ray. Trust me, I'm doing my due diligence to Viz to make up to it. I actually own the first six volumes of Tokyo Ghoul in English and a random magazine from Japan that has a very infamous chapter, which I hope they, I have to see how they're going to try to get around this. Ooh boy. Boy. Like, if you know what happens in chapter 125 of Tokyo Ghoul Re, you know exactly what I mean. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, for me, 
the very beginning of Re uh, is very, very good. It's probably some of my favorite manga that's out there. It's especially the arc with the auction. Mm. The auction arc has probably one of my favorite reveals in all of manga of a certain character's return. Because you don't ever actually expect it. Oh, yeah. But that being <laughs> said, I think the adaptive writing on this is fantastic. Um, nothing feels out of place. Um, I actually don't mind that they swear. There are actually times I thought they were going to say fuck. And they I thought so, too. Didn't. And I was like, come on, Mike. Put the fuck in there. Um, <laughs> just do it. Do it, point. bitch. Do it, bitch. Um, but... The writing on this was really good. A lot of the casting was very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe except for Psycho, because I, I kind of pegged Psycho as a certain actress the second I knew this actress existed, and they were like, gonna make a re-anime. I knew who Psycho was going to be if Funimation got a hold of it. Um, the dub- I wouldn't say this dub is as strong as the original first season of Tokyo Ghoul to me. There's something very special about the first season dub and that I will always hold in my part heart. And the first season of the show means a ton to me. Like mm-hmm. it's a flawed adaptation as somebody who loves the manga, but it is my favorite anime of all time for a reason. I've watched the sh- the first season of Tokyo Ghoul Re before the dub ever came out like four times. And they they kept a lot of the same magic while bringing in a lot of new actors who could step up to the plate and did get a little bit creative with some of them. I was actually very surprised to see who they had play uh, certain characters. And as somebody who does know what goes beyond this season, I am very excited to see what those actors in particular can bring to their characters because their arcs aren't as fleshed out yet. Um, unfortunately, this is a Perot adaptation, so they do take a lot of like really like weird moments out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm kind of sad that they didn't keep the, the party after the auction being a Christmas party. Because, oh, like, they, I forgot they didn't have the Christmas party. Because Juzo they dinner comes party. In, they have the dinner party, but they never do the Christmas party where Juzo comes over and kicks everybody's ass at Smash Brothers. <laughs> that's a yeah, thing, that's yeah. that's a canon thing that he kicks their ass at Smash Brothers. Um, I forgot that it was supposed to be a Christmas party and they didn't actually have a Christmas party. Yeah, it's just a, it's just like an after mission party, and they kind of go over a lot of things. But yeah, uh, the whole directing team did a really good job, and I do want to commend them for doing a same day simul dub for this show in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only imagine what working with Perot is like for this. Uh, Perot does not have the best track record in the world. Um, this isn't like we're working with Studio Bones, who has done this a lot. So I was very impressed that they got as far as they did with it. So uh, a big cast shout out to Mike and his directing and writing crew. Are we good to move on? Yes, please. Yes. All right. This is probably going to be the quickest section of all. Uh, so I call this the returner. God damn it. <laughs> damn it. Pr- somewhere out there, Andrew just came a little from that pun. <laughs> And more tasteless jokes at Andrew's expense. It's my wheelhouse. <laughs> that being said, the characters who return to this season include Toko Kirishima, who is essentially Kaneki's love interest slash all-around badass 
watched her home burn down at the end of last season. Yup. Um, and has restarted her life with a cafe called the RE, or Return. Along with her is, you have Yomu, who is essentially, I guess, kind of the bodyguard of, of, of Re. <laughs> I don't want to say who Yomu really is, Tatoka, because I don't want to spoil that. Um, you have Nishiki Nishio, a giant motherfucking asshole <laughs> who got a power-up. He, he softened up by the end of the He softened two. up. By the way, he got a massive power-up if you didn't catch it. Uh, is going around as the ghoul known as Orochi. And Nishiki is very much known for being kind of the butt monkey of season one and season two. He kind of is, unfortunately. Um, he kind of was the butt monkey. And then we have Uta. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this motherfucker. I'm so confused. Hardy, you don't read the manga, so you have no idea how much I hate this character. Oh no, you told me uh, when we were first recorded how much you hated him. I fucking hate Uda, and now Steph understands why. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I don't hate Uda, honestly. Oh, I hated him when I first finished Ghoul as a manga. I was like, you motherfucker! Also, in one part of the original series in the past, there's an entire panel dedicated to him eating a penis. Yes. Um, oh, what? I I didn't yeah. believe it at first, yeah, and then no, I went back like, and looked at it, and I'm yeah, like, he's yep. just, like, eating a penis as a snack. Boy, that's uh, <laughs> that's a mental it. image I did not need. Did I ever and mention to you that Suishida... Did I ever mention to you that Suishida literally writes a webcomic called The Penis Man? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back on track. Uda runs the mask shop Haisai. Uh, basically, there's one part where Hayase gets duped into thinking he tattoos his eyes, to which ever, all the cues are like, this guy is totally a ghoul, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck, Hayase? Fuck, hey. Hayase, you moron! Uh, but you also know that, uh, if you also pay attention to the show, you know that Uta is not all that he seems, and he might be playing both sides, as he was the auctioneer during the auction arc. That being said, the returning cast, Toka, is played by Brina Palencia, Nishiki is played by Eric Vale, Yomu is played by Phil Parsons, and Aaron Roberts plays Uta. Uta is played by Aaron Roberts. Brina Palencia, you'll know, as characters such as Juvia Loxar from Fairy Tale, Yue Ayase in the Negima franchise, and Rei Ayanami in the Rebuild of Evangelion films. Eric Vale, you'll know as Ryusuke in Beck Mongolian Chop Squad, Kasserin in Kasserin Sins, and uh, getting very hands-on with Mr. Tomura Shigaraki in My Hero Academia. Ha-ha! <laughs> nice. Phil Parsons, you'll know as eternal good beefy boy Klaus von Reinhardt in Blood Blockade <laughs> Battlefront. Yay. Uh, Negan Gerd Lewin in Overlord. And Shiro Sanada in Star Blazers 2199 Space Battleship Yamato, the guy who made me almost destroy a television. <laughs> it's <laughs> okay, I though. He jumped into the water. I got so mad at that, I almost threw my controller at my TV. <laughs> nice! And Aaron Roberts plays uh, Four Eyes Rude, Klaus Lunette in Black Clover, Pastis, <laughs> aka Les Miserables in Aka 13 Territory Inspections Department, and Lilac Spirit Sword, Hishigiri Hasabe from Tokidrop Yohanamaru. Sword Mom! Sword Mom! We love Sword Mom! Not to mention also best sky wizard ever, Cody Balfour. Cody Balfour. <laughs> Cody Balfour. Cody Balfour. Cody Balfour. Save, save the day. day. But, only Nick, back. but only if Nick. But only if Nick Kips. 
But only if Nick kicks his cop car. <laughs> That's how he can achieve flight. flight. This is like just like the callback episode for all the people who have sat through like the 120 plus episodes of our bullshit. <laughs> oh, it's probably going to keep going all night long, guys. All right, Hardy, you can go first. <laughs> um, I really don't have much to say because most of these characters, with the exception of Uta, uh, don't really say that much in this half of the show. Um, they show up, they do their thing, they have their little moments and whatnot, and then for the rest of the show, you're basically dealing with brand new characters, so uh, they sound fine. Um, nothing really to comment on, to be perfectly honest. Uta is a little bit more complicated, but it's, uh... It's a lot of fun for Aaron Roberts to play a fucking slimy weasel. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Some, you know, circus auctioneer type of person. So... That's all I gotta say. I'm kind of in the same boat uh, with Toka, Nishiki, and Yomo. Yomo. They, they kind of just there. They haven't done too much. Though, to Brina's credit, because Toka is a bit more mature and she's softer a little bit more compared to um, previous seasons. And Brina does bring that out of Toka uh, very well. Uh, Nishiki, Eric Vale's the same... <laughs> Stupid asshole. <laughs> he always hey, I want a refill. Do it yourself. <laughs> Do it yourself. Uh, Yomo, Yomo out of the four of them has, has the least amount of fucking lines in, like ever in this half. He of just shows up with the getaway van for the end of the Rose arc. Well, I mean, no, to be the... perfectly honest, he's never really said all that much in the series to begin with. He, has he talks a lot, and he kind of talks more in like the beginning of the first season. Yeah, he talks a lot in the be- in the first season. Um, so, as of right now, it's kind of hard to judge uh, how Phil Parsons sounds at this stage. Um, Aaron Robert Azuta is very interesting because, as the one who one of the out of this four that talks the most, of course, um, you can definitely tell that he's up to something for sure. Because it wasn't made a hundred percent clear in the first two seasons, but now we have this sudden leap to this direction. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to me how Aaron Roberts plays both those sides. Because um, it seems it seems like he's working for, like, the darker side of the ghouls with the whole auction thing. But at the same time, it's like, it also seems like he's playing to the side of Toka and the Re-Cafe. Because the Re-Cafe is fully aware of what Uta's doing. Which is interesting to me. Or you so, think that you they, you think that they know what he's doing. No so, one knows what Uta's doing. <laughs> I mean, point taken, but still. Um, so Aaron having to play those two different sides is very interesting. And I think I think his interaction with um, Heisei, when Heisei first visits him uh, after he gets Kaneki's mask, uh, was very interesting too. Not only because Heisei's a dum-dum, um, <laughs> but the interaction How did you there... become a sp- How'd you become a first class investigator, I say? He became, he became a senior class investigator, remember? How'd you get up the ranks this way, buddy? How did Another you do this? Um, no. Your dad's gonna be so upset with you. <laughs> no, but Aaron definitely, you can tell he's enjoying the role and he's having fun with it. I'm just curious because. Seeing is how, seeing from what I know about Uta and the manga, and seeing how Aaron is going to portray that, especially because once again, Re basically retconned Rude, 
Um, seeing that drastic jump, I don't know where it's going to go from there. Um, so I'm curious to find out uh, how Aaron's going to portray Uta from here on out. Yeah, I'm going to be really quick about Toka, uh, Nishiki, and uh, Yomu. Uh, they were all great. They are all performances I genuinely do enjoy from the original series, especially Eric Bale as Nishiki, the eternal butt monkey. Um, and Nishiki kind of comes into his own a little bit more uh, in this. Uh, the anime does kind of play up kind of his butt monkeyness a lot, which is actually something I'm going to bring up with another character that I am super happy that Root uh, redid for this character. Uh, but Aaron, um, but yeah, Phil Parsons was great as Yomu in the original series. Uh, Toka, I can hear the softness. Obviously, she's going to probably be a bigger part of the next part of the series. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that Brina can still knock it out of the park. But then again, it's Brina Palencia, and she really doesn't ever knock it out of the park. Uh, Aaron Roberts is a lot of fun as Uta, who gets to be creepy and playful and pulling one over on Hayashi Sasuke, Sasaki, who is kind of a dumbass. Um, He's an I adorable love, dumbass, dumbass, though. I love, I love him. He is like, he's Husbando tier, so. <laughs> if you also remember from the gangsta episode that I have a Kaneki body pillow, so. This is true. With that being said, I really, I genuinely really enjoyed this, these performances and these characters. So uh, let's move on to some new characters. Oh boy. Or oh, at least, well, three, at least one of them is characters. not new. No, three of them are new. One of them is not. One of them is fucking nuts. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just realized what I did. Oh my god. See, I was referring I don't to Naki. But I think they like to crack them. I mean, you see, I was referring to Naki when I, with that statement, but then I looked at the list and I'm like, wait. <laughs> it's fucked up. It. Fucked up. So these characters are Misa, or Misa the, of the Three Blades, a tiny girl who is running around with Algiri. She runs one of the wards. By the way, don't fuck with her. She's also kind of the best. We have Naki, a dumb idiot who is a follower of Yamori, uh, Yamori, who is, by the way, the guy who tortured Kaneki in season one, who can't read, can't he write, but he's, he's just a fucking adorable dumbass. There is... Bad touch, Mr. Torso. <laughs> a ghoul that the cues are essentially tracking and in the beginning of the series. Uh, who keeps just somehow slipping away from them. And has this weird fascination with Mutsuki, one of the cues. And then there's every guy, please clench and cover the Nutcracker ghoul. A ghoul who essentially goes around and helps to sell people in ghoul auctions but also takes a great pleasure in crushing and eating men's testicles. Ooh, fun. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to date this this lady. <laughs> and she also, by the way, runs around in, like, bondage stripper gear. True facts. <laughs> I think at one point, too, oh, yeah, she also has a detachable Kagune that blows shit up. Yeah. And it was cool as fuck, and we all know it. It's pretty fucking badass so, and then she does who gets it and, and then oh, she also gets it <laughs> and then it just starts and then i just reminded myself uh, we'll get we'll get there so misa is played by Brittany lauda naki is returning playing naki is josh Greeley. playing torso is one dave matrenga <laughs> and playing the nutcracker ghoul is emily neves Brittany lauda you will know as ichigo did nothing fucking wrong and is the only good character in darling in the franks Neji, Nene, Fu, 
nay, nay, I need a back brace whenever I look at her. Fujinoki in My First Girlfriend is a Gal, and uh, Yonaga Hinagiri in Alice in Zoroku. Josh Grilly, you'll know as small independent character Yuri Kotsky in Yuri on Ice, <laughs> Femt in Blood Blockade Battlefront, and Zeno in Yona of the Dawn. Dave Matrango, you will know as Shoto Todoroki in My Hero Academia, Luke in Garo Vanishing Line, and the Wolfman in The Wolf Children. Emily Meeves, you'll know as Kyoko Sonan in Diamond Dollar, Prince vs. Penguin Empire, Aoi, Waifu of the Motherfucking Year, Subaki in Kyoko, <laughs> not in Kyoko, in Kakarillo, Bed and Breakfast for Spirits, and Judy Ray's in Steins Gate Zero. Not to mention Best Gremlin Ever, Umaru. That's not how you Except, say psycho. That's not how you said psycho in this. That's not how you say psycho. You By the out. way, I actually thank you for actually reminding me of this. Uh oh. So fun fact, by the way, about this, and I'm actually happy you bring up Umaru. Okay. If you don't know, Psycho actually has Umaru posters in her room in the manga. Really? Because Tokyo wow. Ghoulry and a Maruchan ran in the same manga in Japan, the same magazine in Japan. Interesting. Well, shit. Okay. I'm not kidding you. I have I have that magazine in my room. <laughs> and when I found out Umaru and Marie were in the same thing, I about lost my garbage. <laughs> now oh, we need to, we need to see fan art of um, Psycho drawing. Psycho and Umaru. In, in the Umaru hoodie. In the Umaru hoodie, yes. Yes. I want to say that Ishida Sensei did it. I know Ishida Sensei drew her in a Pepe the Frog one before Pepe the Frog became, like, a symbol of other things. Oh, my God. I'm not kidding you. It's real. Of course Ishida would do that. I love Su Ishida. He's a good man. Anyway. He's a very good boy. Anyway. Hardy, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm going to be real quick here. Um, these, are got, these people are crazy. <laughs> And they're all no shit. Yes, all four of them are absolutely insane, and they're all very, very, very fun to listen to. Um, I think the standout would definitely be Dave Batranga as course as torso because, who boy, he's a. He's a few tacos short of a combination plate, just to say there. And also, Nutcracker scares me. For pretty obvious reasons, so yeah, you might want to go uh, protect your cover the, protect your cover uh, treasures. Yeah, let me uh, get my chastity belt out just for just in case. So uh, I'm gonna send the boys to camp. But yeah, it was a lot of fun listening to all four of these people just go full on ham, and um, I can't really say much about it because, other than that, because they didn't really grab my attention individually. But uh, but yeah, it was fun listening to. In, uh, in the overall production. So, yeah. I'm going to go over and tuck my uh, my jewels safely away. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. Good idea before Nutcracker I really, I, part of me actually kind of hopes we run into <laughs> and your immediate reaction is just to put your hands slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> That'd be great. She plays like two fucking ball busters this season between Nutcracker and Owie. Oh my god. She's great. I love Aoi Subaki. Please marry me. <laughs> Waifu of the year. <laughs> She's the fucking best. Especially dealing with the master's bullshit. Uh. Okay, okay. Real talk. Master is best horned, best horned lead character of the year. Go fuck yourself, Zero Two. Yeah. I mean, there, I you're it. not wrong. 
Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> what a bold yet controversial statement. He, Why are you booing me? I'm right. The only way he I could be better. The only way he could be better is if he talked like Shrek. No! <laughs> Get your fucking shit out of here! Fuck you! Fuck you! And the best part is that a pox on your goddamn fucking house! You. How dare you! How dare you ruin my fantasy! <laughs> Welcome a to the head of the world, you? donkey! A box on your house? <laughs> I hope your balls get crushed by Nutcracker and she slurps them down with Ow a straw. Owie, what are you doing in my swamp? <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! No! He doesn't even have a swamp! He has an inn, you asshole! God damn it. Box on your house! <laughs> <laughs> and Fuck you! The highlight for the highlight reel. <laughs> I, I hope you get your ball slurped down by a ghoul with a straw. <laughs> I hope she has a hearty nut milkshake. I hate you so much. <laughs> you know what's worse? <laughs> he would do it too. You know Chris Waycamp would do it. He did it! What? That's the best part. What are you fucking talking about? Wait, what? <laughs> he already did it? Oh god, get back on track. <laughs> I'm guessing I think it's my turn, right? Yes. There's spit just covering <laughs> my phone and computer. Okay. Time to breathe. Alright, so. I'm going to kind of talk about Misa first, because Misa actually didn't really stand out for me, which is weird. Um, I mean, I enjoyed Brittany Lana. It's a different character that I've seen Brittany getting to play, which is very, very nice. I appreciate that, because right now, the most familiar I am with Brittany Lana is Ichigo and Darling in the Franks, because that's the only other Who did like, nothing wrong! Thing. Yeah, this is a diff Misa's a different character for Brittany to play, um, but Misa hasn't really stood out to me as a character all that much compared to a lot of other characters, uh, so I don't really have a lot to say regarding the performance. Uh, Nutcracker and Emily Neves, it's... I actually haven't seen Emily go, like, like show that she's both a sexual deviant as well as, like, desperate. At the same time, she please wants just imagine Umaru yelling, "I want to be beautiful." I know. I want to be pretty. I want to be brother. I want to be pretty. Get me the cola and potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's very different, and especially since the uh, since we're talking about more like roles that I'm used to from this season alone. I'm more used to Emily as Owie and. Um, bed and breakfast for spirits at this point. So obviously, to a complete departure. Obviously. Um, I'm enjoying that a lot. Um, Josh Greeley as Naki is also very interesting because, um... Naki as a character has also grown a bit since we first met him in Rude. Um, he couldn't even write. What? He couldn't even write in Rude. I mean, there's that. But, um, it's interesting. Naki is very interesting as a character because... When I went back to Rude, Nagi's just like flailing like a child, losing his goddamn garbage all the fucking time because he wants to see Yamari again, but knows he can't. Um, now that we have two years gone by and we're here with Nagi now, he he um. I think that Josh had to mature Nagi just a sw just a wee bit. 
Um, because Nakia now has to take on a more leadership role, um, especially with the white suits. So it's definitely a little bit of a growth in the character himself, and Josh gets to portray that. But it doesn't mean that Naki is not crazy. <laughs> oh, far from it. He's still the crazy, childish little goober that he's always been. He's just a bit more mature. Which is... <laughs> I haven't even gotten to Dave Matranga yet. And I hear you whispering, stab, stab, stab. But I may as well go to Dave Matranga. Um, holy fucking shit. <laughs> like, I I've heard Dave Matranga in some very crazy roles before. But not to this extent. <laughs> Crowley, Crowley, growl, growl. Exactly. Um... Not to this extent where Torso is just, I think he's just downright psychotic to a degree. And because Torso is very much obsessed, especially what looks like for the female form, um, which is why he, because it states, it's stated in the show that the only part of his, he only goes after female victims and the only part that he actually keeps is the Torso, hence the nickname Torso. Or the codename Torso, I should say. Um, so he's very obsessed with the female form, and he's also very obsessed with scars. Actually, something I think, if I'm right, they actually just take, they change for the manga. It wasn't that he was obsessed with torsos, it was that he was obsessed with girls with scars on their torsos. That's, yeah, I was just getting to that, that he was also obsessed with scars. Um, hence, hence his big, big obsession with Mutsuki. Um, now, and just, wow, like, Dave just goes complete mental. I won't say it's ham. There are parts where it does get hammy, but I feel like he has more psychotic breakdowns than anything. And especially, like, episode four when he's facing Kanae um, over Mutsuki. Like, some of those screams that he was, like, giving when fighting Kanae was just like, ow! <laughs> Dave, buddy, I hope your voice... Obviously, it's been a while since you recorded that, but holy shit, your voice is probably dead by after doing that. It just hurt. It was like Armin levels of screams. Like Josh Greeley, Armin levels of screams at points. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I think out of the four of these characters, I would say Dave Matranga's torso and then maybe Josh's um, Naki are the standouts for me, honestly. But I did enjoy all of them. I actually did check the manga because I have like I said I have volume one next to me it is uh he is drawn to people women with scars and he does just leave their limbs and shit around um but when we get to uh Mutsuki I will try to remember to talk about why they something that they changed regarding that and that's why as much as I love the torso performance it also doesn't make a lot of sense to me in this anime because they kind of took the reason why he's obsessed with the Mutsuki out um, yeah, that's the kind of the, the, the sad part. Thanks, yeah, so Perot. we get to thanks, thanks, Perot. So we'll get to we get to Mutsuki. We'll talk about it. Uh, so I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, one, I love Misa. Misa is probably one of my favorite secondary characters in the franchise. Um, to me, I love Brittany Lauda's take on her because she does remind me a little bit of Ichigo, but with far less of a bullshit tolerance because. She's kind of got a thing for Naki. Or she's at least Naki's babysitter. 
<laughs> about to say, from what where I stand, and she's the she's babysitter. She's kind of Naki's babysitter. <laughs> she's the babysitter. So she's like, you're kind of an idiot. Uh, you're kind of an idiot. Stop doing this shit. Don't use and my I, name. And I, it's like, don't fucking use my name, you dumbass. Like, use our code names, you dumb shit. Um, and I love her, like, more grounded, like, I am so done. She's kind of the mom-chan of Algiri. Kind of. And I, Josh as Naki is probably one of my favorite Josh Greeley roles of all, of all time, actually, because he plays Naki as a five-year-old trapped in a 20-year-old man's body. And I do see the maturity that they've added to him over the years. Uh, remember, Naki's a character, when you first meet him, he can't even read and write. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily, and I put Femt in his other roles because this essentially reminds me of what if Femt was a giant child more than he already is. That's pretty accurate, actually. Um, uh, Emily Neves' Nutcracker was absolutely titillating and absolutely terrifying, as well as absolutely heart-wrenching. Despite not being a character who survives for very long, you really feel for her arc, and she also gets to do some very terrifying PTSD screams for for uh, Shirazu, <laughs> which was a lot of fun to listen to and bounce off of Shirazu's actor. And oh, Dave Matranga, I didn't know you could do this, <laughs> especially when he started screaming "stab, stab, stabby, stab, stab," and there is just like. This hopeless fedora tipper in his voice. Where he's like, Mootski, is that you? And you're just like, oh, no, I need a shower. (laughs) It's true. He has this, like, like, I hate to generalize people. He sounds like the guy at the con who goes, where's my free hug? Ooh. He's got that kind of vibe to him. Or like you know he's been in the game room and he hasn't taken a shower for three days. <laughs> as bad as that and description like you can is, just you can just like despite accurate. uh despite Torso being a, a animated character, you just feel something gross about him. And you're just like, I don't want any fucking part of you. And he's also kind of got this like bumbling sincerity to him, like God, he's such an awful person, but God, he so believes in his cause to get Mootski's affections. <laughs> Toro, is that you? Toro, is that Toro, you? And you're just that like, you? uh, Toro, he's no. Just, he's just peeking around the corner like, oh my God. Yeah. And then Mootski's just like, ceiling, fuck. Ceiling torso watches you masturbate. Um, <laughs> that yes. being said, I think we're all good to move on to the second batch of Algiri members. These are all characters who are actually, uh, of all things, returning from the first series. Yup. Including one of my favorite reveals of all time. <laughs> Ayato Kirishima, Toka's younger brother, member of the Algiri tree, has kind of moved up the ranks and gotten himself a girlfriend. Of all things. Or at least it's implied. Uh, he's kind of calmed down and become a better leader, and he's also a bodyguard. Working with him, though, is a character I don't think a lot of people expected to be working with him. Hinami Fueguchi, the little girl who watched her dad get killed, her mom get killed by Kureo Mado, and eventually killed him, has now joined Algiri and works as kind of an informant. However, she does defend... Hayase from an attack and eventually gets captured by the CCG under Hayase's care 
and put into cochlea. We have the leader of Algiri Tree, the big bad motherfucking one-eyed owl herself, Edo, the daughter of a human and a the ghoul Yoshimura or Kuzen who ran Anteku from the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. And raise your hands if you called this motherfucker coming back ever. <laughs> like a pineapple. Like a juicy pineapple. Juicy pineapple. <laughs> jam, Sato... jam, 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 jam. Yes. Sato Takizawa, a former CCG agent who was partnered with Hoji and worked with Amon and Akira Mato who went missing in the final battle against the Owl and Anteku raid, has come back himself as a one-eyed ghoul who's just a little bit kooky. Just a tiny bit. A tiny bit. Just, just a little. Just a teeny bit. Playing Ayato Kirishima is Todd Habercorn. Playing Hinami Fueguchi is Laurel Woodhall. Playing Edo or Sen Tots, ta, yeah. Sen Takatsi Tak. The author. The fucking author, guys. Evil J.K. Rowling. Yes. Evil J.K. Rowling is Lindsay Seidel and playing and reprising. Oh, by the way, these are all reprising their roles. And reprising their role as Sato Takizawa is one Mr. Micah Solasad. Todd Habercorn, you will know as your his lord and highness Todd fucking Habercorn, Fira Perginezo and Bakano, Taro Urashima and Okami-san and her seven companions, and Death the Kid and Soul Leader. Laura Woodhall, you will know as Nene uh, Higashiyama in 18 If, Nina in Overlord, and Tia in World End. I'm not saying the entire name of the show. I do not have the time. Lindsay Seidel, you will know as Nagisa Shiota in the Assassination Classroom franchise. Kino in Kino's Journey, The Beautiful World. And Ruko Kominato in Selector and Spread Infected We Cross. Micah Solasad, you will know as characters such as Yuno in Black Clover, Akito Hyuga in Code Geass, Akito the Exiled, and Guy Tsutsugami in from Guilty Crown, the darling of the Franks of its generation. Uh, let's see here. Not much to say about Ayato because he doesn't really speak very much in this particular season. Um, it didn't really make much of an impression on me, but I didn't. He really didn't make much of an impression on me in the first two seasons either, to be honest. Um. Hinami sounds like she's definitely matured a lot, and I could definitely tell an improvement uh, so far on Laura Woodhull's acting because she does sound much more serious and in control. Uh, to where you could you, you could definitely tell that there's definite growth to her character, which I could appreciate. Um, I have a confession to make: I never uh-huh. actually finished Route A all the way through, and so. Uh-huh. I did not get to Eto's big reveal, but okay, sorry about that. But it's fine. No, I already knew about it. But um, but hearing her performance and specifically the last episode of yeah of this series of this season, um, that was some creepy stuff. That's uh, to be commendable. That was some genuinely creepy, scary stuff. Oh, the clock room with Kanae shit, too. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but boy, howdy. I watched... I did not think that this was... My Solasad was possible of being this crazy. <laughs> and I've seen Sir Vamp. <laughs> I love Subaki. Yeah. Subaki is great. I love Subaki. 
but yeah, no, that's if I had to pick one standout performance from the show, just pure ham and pure energy and pure just crazed acting, it would probably be Micah as Takizawa. And this is a show I've, who uh, full of crazy people going ham, so that's really saying something. You know, I've got to ask, did you expect of all the people to show back up this fucking guy? Not really. He didn't. He just. I no, not really. To be perfectly honest. But I will have to say, you know what goes great with ham? Is pineapple. Here's, here's the greatest thing. Didn't Micah make a friggin' pineapple joke at the start of the season? Isn't, I, I want to say yes, and I also, if I'm correct, I believe his, like, artist handle was pineapple or something. <laughs> I think so. But yeah. Uh, I'll start with Ayato and Hinami, because they didn't exactly stand out to me, though I did get the progression of the characters, because... Ayato in the first two seasons is an angsty little shitlord. <laughs> like an angsty little emo shitlord. Probably even more so than Kaneki half the fucking time. Um, but for Todd in this season, I got the I got his growth as a character, his maturity. Um, and he's actually opening up a bit more and starting to care about people because he does care about Hinami in particular. Uh, and it's very, very precious. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, I ship it. <laughs> FedEx. <laughs> FedEx. Uh, Hinami and Laura Woodhall, despite Hinami not standing out so much compared to the past two seasons for her, um, also you can see the progression of Hinami as a character and Laura's performance because Hinami has seen and been through some shit in her life. And in the sh- in a short span Poor of like, fucking girl. Yeah, short span of probably like three years if you had to like lump all three shows to uh, three series together in a sense. Um, so to see Laura portray Hinami as more, she's trying to be an adult. She's trying to grow up, but she's still holding on to whatever innocence and childhood that she has left, especially when she goes to save Heisei. Because you can tell that Heisei is the one link that she does not want to see broken. And uh, to see Laura portray that is very, very wonderful. Um, Eto and Takizawa are crazy motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> so, Lindsay Seidel is Eto. I think around the time when I when we first talked about the show in Route A, um, Eto was confirmed, I think, at the time, right? Yeah, she appears in the first episode. Um, I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, you see the... Um, it was her the, and Tatsuda. Uh, the, yeah, her, the version of her and the bandages, yeah. Yes. Um, so, at that time, I didn't know much about Lindsay Seidel, but also at the time, the podcast was barely a thing, so obviously we've learned some shit since then. Um... But seeing Eto, because seeing the Sentatsuki version and then the One-Eyed Owl Eto version is just... Oh, boy. Um, the Sentatsuki... Uh, you see the Sentatsuki side more in uh, Route A with her, with her interactions with Hinami, actually. Um, by the way, that is completely how Hinami ends up in Algeri. I'm not surprised by that. Because I came to realize, I came to realization while rewatching Re, because I watched Rude and Re basically back to back. Hinami probably like Eto gave the the book 
to high say that Hinami got signed for Kaneki. I came to that realization because it was the same book. Um, so, God, now I lost my train of thought. Yeah, Lindsay Seidel, I, I really enjoyed her a lot. And especially, especially in the last couple of episodes where she just go full out crazy. Like crazy chain, crazy chain, choo choo, get on board, everybody, let's go to magic happy fun times. Um, it's you. You can tell that she just wants. She's fine with just watching the world burn, and then she's also very, very obsessed with Kaneki. Like she, she, she's like she proclaims that she loves him, as she's just falling off of a building, <laughs> like. This girl's gone nuts. Um, but to be fair, if anyone's going to fight Lindsay in the crazy, in the crazy fuck, in the crazy cuckoo contest, it's Micah Sullivan. <laughs> um, cause holy sweet baby Jesus, he's just gone away. <laughs> jam, 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 jam. Um, cause in the first couple seasons, Takizawa is kind of. He, he's trying very hard. Brown noser. Brown noser. Very, very much a brown noser. Trying very hard uh, to stand out um, among his peers, but he's also very much overshadowed by Akira Mato. I think by the point we get to Takizawa in this season, Takizawa, obviously he's, he would have had to have gone through some shit to end up in this state, but we don't know what that is right now, or at least I don't. You do not want to know. Well, I'm probably gonna end up finding out, so I it's unavoidable at this point. Um, but you can also tell that Takizawa just give, just does not give a fuck anymore. He's just done. Like like it's like a psychotic breakdown, except just more of a sadistic crazy motherfucker and it's so much fun <laughs> so much fun i didn't i didn't even think that michael was capable of this too but i got so excited when i heard and saw what happened to takizawa here and i'm like well shit let's go three two one let's go i want to see crazy micah and then it just went off the rails and he just kept flying through the air he has not gone over the cliff and started a downward spiral we're good <laughs> um Although the downward spiral, spiral would also equate to psychotic breakdown, probably in this situation. Anyway, uh, yeah, all four of these characters, I enjoy them a lot. Um, be, uh, but though, all of, obviously, between the four, Eto and Takizawa are the standouts, with Takizawa being a major, major, major standout. Um, and I honestly hope we get to see a bit more of Ayato and Hinami in the second half. Because um, they didn't exactly stand out too much right now, but I am enjoying how their characters are progressing this season. So, um, I'm going to be really quick about Ayato. Ayato sounds about the same as he did in uh, the first two seasons. He sounds like an angry little edgelord. Um, but it's nice to hear him be an angry little edgelord who cares about someone. Uh, because he cares about Hinami. And uh, Laura Woodhull's Hinami performance has evolved from being a scared little girl to a semi-confident a and a little bit, like... I don't want to say, like, lost love towards Hayase, but, like... She deeply cares about him, and when they're in the cochlea, she goes, you are you, and I am me. And it's very sweet. 
Uh, but you can actually tell there's a difference in the way that she portrays the Hinami that's in this show, in this series, and the Hinami as a little girl, because there's a flashback to her in Ayato when she first kind of joins Algiri. And you hear the little Hinami voice, and then she proceeds to say that he acts like his sister and he gets a little flustered. Uh, Lindsay Seidel had her crazy-o's. <laughs> she ate her crazy. crazy. He, she ate her crazy-o's, because... Edo was great. Um, a lot of the Edo that you see in Route A and the original series is either the little bandaged up form that speaks like a child and has kind of a weird filter on it, or her playing a nice human woman who is an author and goes out to meetings and meets fans and tricks adorable little Hinamis into eventually joining an evil organization of murderers. But then and she gives her a I mean, business card. And then she goes absolutely batshit as the owl and hangs and hangs out of a giant corpse mouth and is like damn Sasuke I'm gonna sex you up <laughs> she really wanted damn, to too damn Kaneki I'm gonna sex you up except for she's not like that because she's like probably twice his age and that's a little weird um not to her it wouldn't be yeah cause Edo's buck wild and stuff um and then, oh boy, I have been waiting for this for like four years, guys. <laughs> I have known about the Takizawa thing for a while. Um, if I'm right, he's actually the cover of Volume 3 in Japan, which is not sitting next to me on like, uh, the other three. I believe he is the cover of Volume 3, yeah. yeah. So I have known about this for like a couple years, and I've just been like, man, I cannot wait for Mike Solosad to fucking rip a, head, dude's, a dude's head off. And be like, it's like a freshly picked pineapple. <laughs> and when he's fighting, just... One of my other favorite moments is when... Uh, I think they're in the bathroom. Yeah! Yeah! And these girls are like, wait, Mr. Takisawa, you gave a lecture to my class. You two didn't stop fucking talking! So you should have paid attention! Shut up! You do not know what they fuck. You do not want to know what they fucking did to him. Well, like, I mean, obviously, it's, we're gonna find out. So, unfortunately, there's no escaping. I mean, uh, wonder how your parents taste. <gasps> um. Oh my god! What? <laughs> oh yeah, they fed him his family, and that's the least awful thing they did. I fucking quit. <laughs> yeah, no, they like fed him. Like he talks about like. I don't remember where it is in the manga. For all I know, it was actually during uh, his flashbacks while fighting Kaneki. He talks about his mom tasting delicious. Fucking quit. <laughs> I quit this franchise. I love this I franchise quit this so much. I quit this fucking world. What the fuck? Oh yeah, no, and that, like I said, that's the least awful thing they did to him. Oh my god. This um, poor child. I want to hug Oh, come him on. Now. Oh, come on, Steph. This is a show where a man, you found out a priest was a guy, a ghoul was masquerading as a priest so he could eat little boys. I you, mean. You knew what you were getting yourself into. Getting into. But he didn't Don't get you fed his cry fucking parents. Already... I'm, I'm in too deep. I'm in too deep, guys. You're welcome to my hole. It puts the lotion on the skin or else it gets the ghouls again. <laughs> But no, man, I was... Damn, Micah fucking, like, knocked it out of the park. Like, I've never heard... Like, Akito... Akito from Akito the Exiles got a little crazy, but not like yeah. Takizawa bonkers. 
Yeah, Takizawa like, takes it to another level. <laughs> yeah, Takizawa has no chill as a half ghoul. Like, even when they're having, like, the Algiri cleanup meeting after the auction, he's just, like, sitting there fucking sassing Ayato. Like, he's like, da da And you're just like, holy shit, dude, calm down, Edgelord. I was just Jesus thinking Christ. that I was just Jesus. thinking that ghouls are kind of kooky, and kooky sounds like cookie, and cookies are delicious. Delicious. <laughs> Takizawa is Takizawa is like an early two thousands hot topic meme. <laughs> it's like, have you seen those tweets going around? Like, if you remember this image, you qualify for a veteran's discount, and it's like, I I made you a cookies, but I eated it. <laughs> like. Ghoul Takizawa looks like he'd be one of those weirdos who keeps asking for Invader Zim to come back. I mean, no offense to those people. He's not wrong. Invader Zim should come back because Invader Zim is awesome. True. Just, just anyway, um, are we good? I I loved all these performances, especially Takizawa. I've been waiting for this for like a couple of years at this point. So clearly, you exceeded your expectations. Yes, I was very happy with with because Takizawa is kind of a whiny little butt munch in Rude. And my favorite series, my fav- one of my favorite all-time scenes in, in Route A is where he gets absolutely plastered. <laughs> and he tells his boss to fuck off. And then his boss is just like, This is like, Takizawa, you need to come back to the office. And he's like, yes, sir. And he's such a little brown noser, too. He like, is. Um, but yeah. Like, I, I love the evolution that Micah has as an actor for this character, too, so... Um, are we all good to move on, though? Yes, please. Yeah. Ooh, another fun all character. Right. Yay. So we're going to have one returning character and three new characters. Uh, this one returning character is probably one of the fan favorites. I do like this character, this... actually. Anyway, fan favorite character coming back is Juzo Suzuya. A... Juzo's a little unhinged. He, he's a person. person. <laughs> and uh, he was partnered with a very wonderful man named Shinohara, who unfortunately uh, went into a coma at the very end of the, of the first series. And has since been trying to become a better man and now has his own squad that he leads with his new best, uh, his new uh, second in command, whose name I forget the full name of, I only wrote down his first name, which is Hanabe Araba. A man who basically looks like the anti-Uta and has like, all white eyes. Uh, who's very who's very much Juzo's second in command. And then there are the two kind of people who run the Rose Operation. Uh, I would talk about Kori Uri Ue in this situation, but um, honestly he didn't leave as much of an impact on me as I wanted to. But we are going to talk about Heru Ihei, who is pink and psycho. <laughs> True facts. And Shiki Kijima, a man who looks like some Frankenstein lizard potato. Who has a has chainsaw. A peg leg, has a peg leg and a fucking Queen K chainsaw. The best Queen K ever. Ever. There is one other character I did actually want to talk about besides Kore Urie, and that is one Mr. Furata, who is essentially Shiki Kijima's underling. Furata, if you have any sense of foreshadowing, has a character design that is way too nice to be killed and is way too slimy during the Rose arc. However, 
He is played by somebody in Route A. We do not know if that is the same person playing him in RE or RE or if the actor was changed. And as of the time of this recording, we are unable to confirm his voice. Mm -hmm. That being said, playing Juzo Suzia returning is Maxi Whitehead. Playing Hanabe is Brad Kurtz. Playing uh, Heru is Jill Harris. And playing Kijima is Randy Perlman. Maxi Whitehead, you will know as characters such as Tesla Mare in Bakano, Alphonse Elric in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and Kazuma Ikizawa in Summer Wars. A note, despite Juzo's appearance and voice, Juzo is male. Mm -hmm. Juzo is a boy. Boy. However, he did have his nuts crackered. Yeah. But not by Nutcracker. Not by Nutcracker. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. Poor Juzo. Poor Juzo. Hanabe is played by Brad Kurtz. Brad Kurtz, this is his first named role. Wow, yay. Explains how come I never heard of this person before. But he is also, but he has done various voice roles in Black Clover, Kato, The Right Answer, and Trickster. Jill Harris will know as Mayaka Ibarra in Hyoka, Yumeme in Planetarian, and Aleta in Restaurant to Another World. And Randy Perlman you will know as Mikio in Shangri-La, everyone's favorite drunkle sword, Jiro Tachi in Tokunrabu Hanamaru, and Imperio Ivankov in One Piece. By the way, we're not talking about him, but apparently Kori Ure, who is essentially Haraway's uh, supervisor, <laughs> supervisor and, and gatekeeper of this crazy pink-haired asshole child, is actually played by Chris Burnett. I told you this the other day and you didn't believe me. I didn't believe- this is like the fucking- shut the fuck up. Um, Side note, Ue also was in Rune. <laughs> yes, Ue is- we're not talking- like, I guess we could- I, fuck it, we're talking about him too. Chris Burnett plays Toru and Shiki. That's all I can remember off the top of my head. And he's yet we see it, Sarah, for the end. And he's also Romeo from Romeo X Juliet. There you go, got You raise me up, we have to teach this to Gigi every episode he's on with Chris Burnett. Mm -hmm. Um, go ahead, Hardy. Yeah, um, once again, I'll be real quick. Uh, Juzo is a fan favorite of mine, and Maxi Whitehead does a really, really good job playing him. Um, he sort of got to... You could tell that he's sort of a little bit more sane, which is not saying so much, because in the first series, he was just a little... I don't even... Cuckoo. Yeah, little cuckoo, yeah. He's, and, he had his... Cuckoo for Cocoa Buffs. Yeah. Now you could tell he's definitely, he's matured a little bit. Um, you could, I would actually say a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, seeing his sort of reaction with Big Mom and um, their history there. No, I'm, s oh, yeah. I'm sorry. There's just a part where Big Mom has... Uh, Urie. Urie, like just hanging out of her mouth. And I made a tweet with like, best. Crikey, there's a big goo over there. I'm going to stick my head in it. But anyways, yeah, Maxi Whitehead did a really good job as Juzo, like before. Um, Hanabe, I honestly do not know who you're talking about. I He is the really big tall guy that with the white eyes. You really only saw him during the auction arc, honestly. Yeah. I, I, I can't make a comment. I, I'm blanking out completely. I do not remember this character whatsoever. So, apologies. Good thing we're also talking about Cory Ure now, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just, just keep boy. talking. I'll help you out in a second, okay? Yeah. No. Um, Hyru was... It's always fun to get to hear Jill Harris play someone a bit unhinged. Most of the characters she plays are pretty either straight-laced or... Um, 
or very sweet or very, you know, sassy. Here, she was very happy to get to play this character. By the way, yeah, here you could tell that she's a. Uh, she's got something. Um, she's got a little bit something work. wrong with her. I'm looking at this character. I still don't remember. I must have been like half asleep during this arc. You must have been half asleep because I'm just because I don't I, remember I pulled up a, anything. I, I pull, for those at home, I pulled up a picture of Hanabe just so Hardy can see what he looks like and. Clearly, it's not ringing any bells. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, he's like, he gets a lot more to do in the manga, that's why. There's actually, yeah, there's more for um, him to do. This is also pretty cool. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I want them, by the way, to adapt the Juzo one-shot mm -hmm. that's from the manga, because that's where he shows up a lot, yeah. too. Well, yeah. I could say, you know, in Jill, play, in Jill Harris being able to play a crazy character, that's a good way to get ahead in her career. <laughs> oh! <laughs> good job, man! <laughs> you cut the wrong half. <laughs> Anyways, and yeah, uh, Randy Perlman scares me as Shiki. So that is just <laughs> that is a character that is like we made a joke during Golden Kamui about Lieutenant Surumi being a walking trigger uh, warning. I think this character is pretty much the Tokyo Ghoul equivalent. And he's this season's he's this season's motto. Right, right. And I mean, but yeah, Randy Perlman played him very, very well, and I hope that his performance didn't give him a splitting headache. So. <laughs> you ever watched a show where a man's own chainsaw cut his own head in half? He made oh. words that I did not know were possible. So. <laughs> I didn't know we could make. That was great. It sounded like his head went into a blender. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, let's make some mashed potatoes. <laughs> are you good? I'm sorry. She can teach him. It looks like a walking potato. <laughs> are, are you good, Hardy? I'm good. I'm good. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to start with Hanabe because Hanabe did not stand out that much, honestly. And also, I'm not that familiar with Brad's work. Obviously, because he's still pretty new, so I can't exactly say much as of right now. I just want to see more of Hanabe so I can really get a sense of not only the character, but Brad's range as an actor. That's all I'll say about him. Um, Jill Harris, she's a perky, perky, innocent little girl uh, who, who murders. Yeah. Who murders. Um, she's good at her job and everything. Uh, and she's determined to do her job, and but when she got stabbed, <laughs> when she got stabby stabbed um, by uh, Matsumai, um, <laughs> that's when she kind of lost. She wasn't her. even stabbed by Matsumai. It was Mario who stabs her. You're right. I am wrong. Um, she takes out a b. She whips out a fucking beam gun, and she goes full bat shit. What? <laughs> Who's who, who's got a Kagane that's a laser blaster? That's what I want to know. I don't know because somebody's well. Okay, because fuck you. That's why. For okay, full full disclosure. Arimas is a fucking railgun, <laughs> and I know who his Kagane is. His Quinka is made out of. I won't tell Lilac because I want her to know that. I want her to learn that one herself. I will tell you, Hardy, in a text. Nice. Right. Um. <laughs> Yeah, she. J this character that Jill's playing, I can't. I was. I want to call her by her last name, but I can't fucking remember right now. 
Ihei. Ihei, thank you. Uh, Ihei, she's sweet and adorable, which is, like, typical of, like, half of the roles that Jill usually plays until Ihei just loses her garbage um, after getting stamped. But, yeah, that's a lot of fun for the short amount of time she was in the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, same with Ui, uh, Chris Burnett, if we are talking about him for, like, five seconds. Um, he, he definitely commands the scenes that he is in, but is not as much of a standout compared to some of the other characters. Um, but I do enjoy him a lot, and it's always it's always nice, because we rarely get to talk about Chris Burnett, honestly. So, it's always nice to talk about Chris I Burnett. I still swear to God we fucking saw him in the hallway at Funimation last year. Oh yeah, you swear that you saw him. Um, uh, Kijima! Kijima, Kijima. Oh boy. <laughs> so, Randy Perlman is such a slimy character, and... He has no regard for neither goals nor CCG, like, policy bullshit. He does not give a fuck. <laughs> like, he will torture a ghoul that they capture, put it on the internet for the world to see, and does not ah, care. Porn. Does not care. Um, and Randy Perlman, it's... If the character design wasn't a dead giveaway... You would kind of think that Kijima is unassuming if the character design wasn't a dead giveaway. <laughs> It'd be similar on the like a similar lines to Furuta if the character design didn't give it away as bad. <laughs> um, and then Juzo. Juzo's very interesting because, and Hardy already kind of brought this up a little bit. So Maxi in the first couple of seasons, Juzo was just full on child mode. Bonkers. Like, bonkers. But he also was like a child because of all the torment that the that Big Madam put him through. Um he still he still has himself repressed as this child. Um so and obviously what happened to Shinohara at the end of the first series kind of got his attention and he's growing up and you see that. Like out of all of the characters in the sh the returning characters in the show the one I feel like that has grown the most, um, aside from Heisei, but Heisei is a different animal entirely, um, is Juzo. Juzo has matured so, so much, but he still has his moments where he's still very childlike. The first time you get to see Juzo coming back in, um, it's this big meeting, and he goes to Heisei, he's like, Heisei! Heisei lifts up his arms as if he's gonna give him a hug. Juzo's picking through his pockets for little snacks <laughs> that, that Heisei snuck in Snick for him. Snack. It's adorable. So, with the amount that Juzo has matured, you still have that little moments of childlike quality um, and a need to hold on to like that childlike innocence. And Maxi, I think, portrays that very well. So out of the four of these, Maxi definitely is the standout with the progression of Juzo's character. Uh, but Randy Perlman is also a lot of fun. So I'll do Hanabe and uh, Kori in, uh, really quick. Well, Hanabe really quick. Uh, I like Brad Kurtz's base performance. It is a shame that this character doesn't get to talk a lot more because this is actually a really interesting voice for a guy who's, uh, this is his first named role. So welcome to the world and deferral crazy world of named characters, dude. Um, Kori Ure. God, I want to smack this fucking bull cut of a character in the face. <laughs> he's such a little pissant. He's like the dad. He's like Haruhi's dad. <laughs> and he's so fucking done with her shit. Um, 
Man, I, lo I wish that Haruhi was as little bit of as crazy as she was in the manga. Oh, she's yeah, she's, little, she's, she's nuttier. A, she's fucking nuts in the manga. She is. And they kind of toned her down. But, man, I love Jill Harris playing her like she is, like, the world's most peppy high school girl. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for years. And you're just like, oh, no, you're terrifying. <laughs> Isn't she also mildly and obsessed with like, Anima? The uh, yeah, because they imply that they knew she knew him as a child. But when you kind of get into a lot of the stuff that's going on with the Washus in Arima, it gets a little weird. It's going to start coming up soon in the manga for you. So I don't want to say too much. Yeah, don't say too much. And remember, she's the same age as the Qs, right? As the Quins, and except, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do their ages when we get to them. You're not gonna believe which one of them is the oldest. So I really liked how she sounded, especially uh, with her being really, really peppy against Psycho mm. and her disposition. And then, oh, and then there's Shiki Kijima, who, by the way. I actually got this right in my really? predictions. I was Wait like, up. oh, Randy Perlman has... Here's my thing. I was like, okay, I need an older guy who's appeared in this show that can do crazy, creepy voice and who hasn't been in there. Oh, Randy... Because uh, my other prediction for uh, Shikima, uh, Kijima was uh, Brian Mathis. Oh, okay. I can see it. By the way, I also had done predictions for Torso, and you might want to smack me because I said one of them should have been Matt Shipman. I mean, you probably got it from me because I said Matt Shipman. Remember, you were sitting- Oh yeah, that's right. You we were, were sitting, sitting next, next to me. By the way, so we did Lilac's re-predictions at 6 in the morning waiting to get autograph tickets at AB. Oh, wow. Yep. yep. But man, no, Shiki Kijima is like, Mr. Makes like- God, when he's got the one servant tied, the girls, Eliza, oh God. tied up. You have such loose lips. And I'm just like, oh God, please no. It's like, oh, but, bad touch, bad touch. Bad touch. But for me, good Lord, the dying noises of Mr. One Randy Pearlman. Oh, wait, that's the Armin scream. That's the Armin <laughs> like, you get flashbacks to the Wicked Witch of the Weather. Oh, what a world! What a world! Yes, actually, you do. Yes, actually, yeah. And except for instead of melting, he gets his own chainsaw to his head. He dies from a splitting headache. So. <laughs> just like when the chainsaw gets put up in the air, you're just like, that thing's gotta come the fuck down somehow. Yep. And then surprise! Eyes! Which, by the way, we're we're gonna talk about the, the that group of characters. Just you know what? I I loved all of these performances too. They're really great. Let's just use this to transition into the Rose Group. The Rose Art. Oh God. The Rose Group. Uh, with one returning character and three new friends, we have when Mr. Skiyama Shu, everyone's favorite comic relief character from the first season fuck you Perot. napkin huffing son of a huffing bitch huffing son of a bitch if you read the manga like me that is my one big critique of the original manga is that Shusukiyama is actually a really complex character he honestly is he yeah. is a very fascinating character that gets turned into a joke you have Kanae they are a servant of Shusukiyama known as Rose. They are German and fabulous. 
and do something very, very bad for the sake of wanting to be loved by Skiyama, there is Chie Hattori, who is probably in her 20s, guys. She isn't it confirmed that she is? Yeah, no, she's in her. She is the same age as Skiyama, by the way. Yeah, they went to school together. Side yep, note. they went to high school together. So everybody who was like, wait a minute, why is this midget hanging out with Skiyama? Or why is this child hanging out with Skiyama? Oh no, they went to high school together. Oh. Surprise! And then we have Matsumai, who is essentially the head servant bodyguard of Skiyama. Matsumai is a fucking badass, by the way. Yes. Matsumai is a fucking badass. So, playing Shu Skiyama, returning from this first series, is J. Michael Tatum. Playing Kanae Von Roswald is Jeannie Tirado, who I also predicted correctly. Me too. Um, playing Chie is Madeline Morris, and playing Matsumai is Julie Shields. J. Michael Tatum, you'll know his characters such as Toma and Aquarion, Tenten and Oedo Rocket, and Seishiro Kirishiki, everyone's favorite man who walks Dobermans <laughs> in Shiki. Jeannie Tirado, you will know as characters such as Kokoro in Darling in the Franks, Akira Yamamoto in Star Blazers Space Battleship Yamato 2199, and I am so sorry for the butchering I'm about to do. Roska Schwagerin in DSRI. Wow, okay. I'm not even going to try that one. I'm not even going to try. Madeline Morris, you will know as characters such as Akari Mamiya from Aria the Scarlet MOAA, Frederica Greenhill in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Die New Thace, and Sophie in Garo Vanishing Line, who might as well just be Chie's best friend. Basically. Um... And Julie Shields, you'll know as characters such as Zena in Death March to the Parallel, Rap- Parallel World Rhapsody, Ren Mikihara in Full Metal Panic Invisible Victory, and Rito Suda in Urehara. I think out of the out of this entire group, I think Julie is still relatively new. Yeah, she did not have a lot of name roles. Well, one thing I would like to note is that uh, as the one person returning from the previous seasons, um, Tatum still sounds a bit deranged in his earlier episodes of this season. Like when he's like starving himself. No, he's binge eating and he's like sick and and going crazy. That's the old Skiyama that we're, we, we we're familiar with. Um, as he sort of matures over the rest of the season, you can definitely tell a, you, it's nice to see a different side of him. Like, the, the flamboyancy is still there, but it's sort of gone. Like, you can tell his spirit's kind of been broken. And uh, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting take on the character. And uh, I think, of course, that Tatum is able to play both the um, melancholic version of Skiyama just alongside the psychopathic and flamboyant uh, versions as well. It's, it's a really good take on the character. I can I, I appreciate how how it has grown in this new season. Um, Kanae is basically one for one Genie Tirado's performance in DAC Ray uh, because I was one of the few people who actually watched that show. <laughs> and uh, how bad do you feel for watching it? Uh, well, I <laughs> I feel obligated to watch the new the rest of the six episodes just to finish the darn thing. I, here's the thing. It's a very heavy German accent. Mm-hmm. And because you don't really listen, it doesn't really come up a lot in anime, specifically characters with heavy accents. So I'm not sure if it's accurate 
or not. And that plays a lot... It plays into my opinion of the role as such. The passion was definitely there. The energy was definitely there. Like, this character goes through an emotional gamut of just feeling unloved, feeling worthless, and then just wanting just one person to call them by their name. And, and the emotion is definitely there. The feeling is definitely there. I do not know if the accent is authentic or not. Okay. And I, it's the same issue that I had in D.A.C. Ray, is that all the characters in that have very heavy German accents. I cannot tell if they are authentic enough to pass. And the only person I think in DS Irae who probably gets a pass is Alex Moore, who speaks German. Fluently. Right, right. And so, who is was actually my other pick for Kata. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's one of the one of I wouldn't say it's a criticism. That's one of the things that I have to really bring out in judge in, in judgment of this performance, because I don't really know if that is an authentic or or accurate German accent. I'm not sure. Um, mm -hmm. If it is, then great for her. Um, if, uh, But yeah, I think that the energy and the passion was definitely there, and Jeannie brings it really well. Um, Chie needed to be in the, in the show a little bit more for me to make an accurate, uh, an accurate criticism, but I'm familiar with Madeline Morris enough to where it's basically Sophie from A Vanishing Line without all the depressing, you know, I'm looking for my brother sort of thing. Okay. Speaking of looking for my brother, poor Matt Shipman in that show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Has anyone seen my Matt Matt and his cat cats? <laughs> yeah. Um, as for Matsumai, she didn't really make a big impression until later. Um, she's pretty stoic and, uh, and soft-spoken in general. So, you know, it's... They were all pretty, very good performances all around, is really what I have to say. And speaking on that, I may as well start with Matsumai. Um, I'm in a similar vein with you, Hardy. She didn't, Julie didn't stand out in the early parts of the episodes, um, particularly the auction, where we do actually get to first see her. But in the latter half of the show, where she does get a little bit of a larger role in, this, uh, in the um, Rosewald incident, um, I really enjoy her a lot. Definitely very very different, not what I expected. Um, and of course, similar to Brad um, as Hanabe, I actually had never heard of Julie, Shu Julie Shields before, uh, but this has definitely put her on my radar in terms of performances, and I want to see her in more things. Um, I have a similar thoughts for as Mad for Madeline Morris as Chia as well. It is basically Sophie again, which I'm totally okay with, because I did enjoy her as Sophie, and I really do like her here as well. Um, because Chie is really spunky, but she also is, Chie is also willing to endure the risks when it comes to ghouls, because, um, she, basically Chie's profession is she buys and sells information. She's essentially an information broker. Because she, she's, she's human, right? Yes. Yeah, no, she's completely she human. human. She's actually one of the very few human characters who isn't a total asshole. Yep. She's actually one of the few human characters that isn't a part of the CCG at all, or ever will be. Mm -hmm. 
it's very interesting because yeah, she's a, basically an information broker because you meet her at the beginning. Uh, she's giving information to um, Shizuru and uh, Urie about Torso. So it's her character is very interesting as kind of in exchange, by the way, for a pair of Hyas's boxers. Correct. <laughs> um, so Madeline is kind of given the position that she's in. She's kind of the outsider looking in and observing everything. So it's very interesting to see Chie play more of an outside outsider perspective on the situation while still being spunky and still enduring the risks that she has to deal with with this position she's put herself in. Because um, obviously there are risks when it comes to dealing information about ghouls or two ghouls as a... Uh, her in her as her uh, chase with the CCG has taught her anything or taught us anything. Um, con. Oh yeah, they finally bring that up. That like aiding and abetting ghouls is actually like a fucking crime. Well, they didn't they didn't really bring it up in the anime. They wanted to question her, but she just ran off. Um, but Kane is also very interesting as well. Um, I'm not gonna lie, cause even despite me getting my prediction right with Jeannie Toronto on this one. At first it seemed off to me, but only because I had the issue of wait, isn't Kanae a boy? Why is Jeannie still sounding feminine and like a girl? But then I read the manga and watched the show and I'm like, that's why. Okay. So it all kind of makes sense, like, as I got to read the story and watch the show. So going back to it this time, now that I know, um, and rewatching the first 11 episodes and then finishing it finally today, I understand Kane as a Kanae as a character, which makes Genie's performance, I think, all the more better for me. Because uh, she... Where is it? Oh, I have a funny note I worked out. i read it in a second, though. Where is it? She, um... Kanae is si- similar to um, uh, who the fuck did I say? Similar to uh, Emily Neves as in that cracker. Kanae also has a sense of desperation to her, or, or they, excuse me, them. And Jeannie portrays that very well. But not only that, but Kanae is very, very possessive. Ka- they are very possessive over Skiyama, and. Jeannie just portrays that very well. Um, unlike Hardy and probably 80 to 90 percent of anime fans, I did not watch D- did not watch DSRA. I have never heard Jeannie speak German before. I have heard her speak French uh, in in Code um, Code Geass. And oh yeah, that's right. She does do the French accent in Nikita the Exile too. That's right. Yep. So Jeannie Toronto, master of accents. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so I thought it was really awesome. That they that she was able to pull that off. <laughs> the funny note I wrote down because I have to say this so when I was rewatching this and this was um there's a scene during the auction raid where Kanae is chasing down Mutsuki and um, they catch up to him and the, my note basically is as follows: Kanae is secretly tuxedo mask, rose throwing and shit because <laughs> Kanae. My work here is done. You didn't do anything. Exactly. <laughs> because when Kanae catch up with Kanae with Muski at one point, 
they just throw Rose and just like hits the floor similar fucking fashion as when you see Tuxedo Mask all memes. the time. I'm like, wait a second. It was great. By, uh, harvesting. What was it? Serving shoe by daylight. Oh my god. No, was it? The harvesting people by moonlight. We don't have time for this. Serving shoe by daylight. We don't have time for this. Stop. Never shake. Never running from the real fight. It is Kanye Rosenwald. Von Rosenwald. Anyway. Time to get sued. Yes, you are. Uh, as for Tatema Tsukiyama, Tsukiyama, it's... This is another character that got the chance to mature, <coughs> but unlike the other characters that do mature, um, we don't have a time skip where they just automatically come back as mature. We actually, I think Tatum is the only character where we see on screen his progression as a character and him maturing, at least in terms of recurring characters. Because um, everybody else, there's like a time skip, and then all of a sudden, like majority of them are mature or have changed in personality. But Skiyama is probably the only recurring character where you actually get to see that progression and that complexity in his character um, play out. And I actually really appreciate it because the last time we got any kind of arc about Skiyama, Skiyama was nuts. <laughs> like. Because that was the gourmet arc when we were basically introduced to him, and he's being nuts. Um, In the words of Chris from Yuri and I, if I think I'm going to come. Basically, huffing that napkin all day long. <laughs> no. Fortissimo! El Dorado! Fortissimo! No, but, um... It's... I, I really appreciate that the show did adapt the Rosenwald incident and um, the progression of Yama as a character, uh, and seeing Tatum grow with the character as we watch it, um, obviously, I, I think it shows, it shows, um, it, it highlights Tatum's strengths as an actor, where he's able to adapt and grow with the character, uh, any character, really, that he's thrown in, like, given. Um, I mean, if we're talking in another example, if we want to talk about Okabe in Science at Zero, because that's completely different compared to the first season, obviously. Um, so, it definitely... Not the fun season for Jay Tatum. The progression of Skiyama that we see on screen is definitely uh, a testament to the strengths of Tatum as an actor and seeing that progression in the character. Um, but I enjoyed all of them very much. Yes, 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 yes. Alright, Julie Schultz's Masamai was a really nice touch. Um, I liked that she was softer as a character and did not go as hammy and over the top as Kanae and Skiyama's voice. It was a very nice contrast to both of them, and I think that Julie Shields is setting herself up as an actress that will make her way into more simuldubs. Madeline Morris as Chie, um, I was super looking forward to uh, Re because Chie is a character in this franchise, and she is such an interesting character in that she is one of the few humans in the show who doesn't really have any affiliation to either side. She's just kind of like running around taking pictures. And I am not as familiar with Garo, so I, I do apologize. I actually never got to watch Vanishing Line. I just got really caught up in life stuff. It happens. Um, so I thought Madeline Morris was fantastic, and I like that she didn't play her with like a child's voice. Mm -hmm. She played her with a youthful voice, but she never made Chie sound like a child. Yeah. Um, 
I'll, I'll want to save Kanae for last. Uh, J. Michael Tatum at Skiyama was probably, he's probably the only person who could have ever played Skiyama in the first series. And as much as I really enjoyed that performance, as somebody who reads the manga, uh, Skiyama was a joke character at times in the original series. Mm -hmm. um, you never got, like, like legitimately, he was um, the second arc, actually, in the manga. They actually defeat uh, Koreo Mato before they take care of him. And right. his introduction is genuinely creepy. Like, he eats an actress's eyes. Ooh. Because they are beautiful, and he's very clever and conniving, and you get to see that kind of in the way that he keeps approaching Hayase as if he is Hayase's friend, and mm -hmm. tries to use what he knows about Kaneki right. uh, to get his, his friend back. And then um, what really hits me is when he wakes up with Matsumai in the car. And yes. he, he has this moment of revelation where he realizes now that he must bear the burden of the Skiyama family on him. And he's like, is this what Kaneki felt when he rushed off to save Anteku? And am I going to lose all of these people who are important to me again? Showing that even he was affected by the destruction of Anteku and the loss of Koma, Irami, and uh, Yoshimura. And remember, the last time you see Skiyama in Rude A, um, for anime-only viewers, he is sobbing himself relentlessly on a roof with Nishiki. Yep. Re regretting he did not stop Kaneki from apparently going to his own death. And I think Tatum gets to, to put his fangs into this so much more. And it's such it's something I really appreciate about not only his ability as an actor, but that the show itself really turned Skiyama around. And I really hope for people who never enjoyed the character in the first series that this arc really changes them around. And then there is Kanae. And that character, um, I want to read a tweet from Jeannie Tirado herself. And it's uh, somebody had thanked them um, about this. And it says, thank you. Kanae pushed me as an actor in ways I've never tried before, and I'm forever grateful to have voiced such a strong, tragic, and complex character and those torture scenes. Dream role, to be honest. Because um, Kanae does have these very, very creepy, like, Salvador Dali-esque torture scenes with Edo. Oh, God! Where Edo is putting her bones of her own Kagune into to, to this person and making her... Uh, I'm sorry, making them a, a living puppet. Uh, by the way, if you want to catch what Edo is actually doing to Kanae, um, you know the thing that kind of causes Shirazu to eat it? The Noro? Yeah. Yeah, because Kanae's whole head comes off at one point yeah. and just reattaches. Yeah, that makes sense there. And there's and Kanae is such a complex character for uh, such a short amount of screen time and appearance time in the show. In that Kane is manic and crazy. Like, there's a part where Kane runs and beats their head against a tree. Yep. After running into um, it first for no fucking reason. No reason. And punishing themselves. And then you get the stuff where Kane um, does play a little bit more as a feminine, with a feminine male voice. And I like that it walks that line. If you've watched the show, you'll know exactly what we're getting at. Um, but for reasons why we're just using they as a, a pronoun mm -hmm. to be more fair to people who um, 
and we don't want to cause a fight. This was our, our mutual middle ground, if you don't remember. Um, Kane is such an interesting character, and I do need to agree with Hardy on the accent bit. Um, I don't speak German, and there are times where I feel like that Kane gets a little too cartoonish German. It is a fine line that you do need to walk when you do accents, because um, I remember, even though I think all of us particularly like the accent in Yuri on Ice, that is something that people did have some criticisms for, and if you're not doing it properly, it does come off as a joke and not something serious, and for Kane's character, yes, Kane has very hammy over-the-top moments, like being Sailor Kane, Tuxedo Kane, <laughs> and ramming their head into a tree. But you also get Kane's death scene. Yes. And you have to play the accent, and Genie does it very, very fantastically. Where if you go a little bit too much ham, it's gonna become a cartoon joke. And I'm very happy that when it needed to be kind of jokey and cartoony, it went there. And I... I cartoony is a bad word to use but I can't think of anything else but when it needed to be like completely straight it did it and that's what I enjoyed about Jeannie's performance um so are we ready to move on uh-huh. yes alright awesome this section should also be fairly quick because it's our last section before we start kind of getting into the five main characters of the show uh these are also two returning characters Akira Mato and Arima Kisho uh essentially Hayase's mom and dad <laughs> Pretty much, uh, best yeah. way to put it, yes. Put it. Akira Mato is a investigator that was once paired with Kotaro Amon, but after his apparent death, she is now essentially kind of the guardian of the Q squad. And, oh god, this is so hard to talk about. Um, Kisho Arima is essentially the white reaper of the CCG. He is essentially the OP, never loses a fight. Like, you find him, you fuck. Yeah. Basically. Uh, his Quin K is a railgun. I'm not kidding you. It's a giant electric cannon. And it's badass as fuck. I am going to spend a little bit of time on this, so I do apologize to anybody who's listening to this. This episode is already going to be pretty long as it is, and I, I do need to explain this to fully help people who have never read the manga grasp this. Because they do retcon Route A regarding this character. Kisho Arima is the reason why Hayase Kaneki does not die at the very end of Ghoul. In Ghoul, during the final battle, Kaneki becomes injured and wanders into a sewer. It is in that sewer that he meets Hide. Hide reveals that he has known Kaneki was a ghoul the whole time. Kaneki then blacks out and wakes up in an underground field of flowers. Hide is nowhere to be seen, and there is the taste of blood in Kaneki's mouth. Kaneki goes up against Arima and loses. To this point, this has never been seen in the anime fully animated. A big thing that Arima does is he stabs Kaneki through the head. You do not know at the time, everybody at that point in time believed Kaneki to be dead. Until, obviously, the reveal in Rude that Hayase came back and that Arima was training him and has essentially taken him as his protege. I did want to take the time to explain this. I may have not done it as much justice as you can do by you yourself picking up the Viz release and reading the manga or going to a site and getting a summary of it. But that is about the 
layman's terms that I want to get out for why Arima is a key figure in this part of the franchise. That being said, Akira Mato reprising her is Morgan Garrett. Arima, however, is not being reprised by his actor, even though it had to. They had very, very minimal speaking lines. Uh, in the original, both Route A and the original anime season, Arima was played by Alex Organ. Stepping into his shoes is his essentially default vocal replacement at this point, and good friend of the podcast, Christopher Wakeham. Um, Morgan Garrett, you will know as characters such as Meg Kautaka in Assassination Classroom, Sophie in Gosik, and Rico Brenska in Attack on Titan. Christopher Wakecamp, you will know as Susumu Kodai in Star Blazer Space Battleship Yamato 2199, the Master in Kakarillo Bed and Breakfast for Spirits, and he also still plays him in Re. Chris Wakecamp was also Tatara, mm-hmm. the tall, white-haired member with the red mask in Algiri Tree. So he's pulling in double duty now. He has yes. double duty, yes. Interesting. Yes. Also, I am very, very sorry for the t- the change in tone of my voice. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the chapters in which uh, Kaneki and Arima fight are absolutely stunning. But they really are, yeah. They are. It is a fucking crying shame that they have never animated that fight. Thanks, Perot. Thank you. Yeah. Fuck you, Perot. Like, legitimately, fuck you guys. Hardy, go first. I know this section's probably going to be quicker than most uh, before we spend a lot of time on the next five characters. Okay, yeah. Um, going to be really quick. Uh, these two characters don't do all that much of talking, honestly. Akira does a bit more, um, but it's it's pretty much just carried over from uh, the previous two seasons, or the previous second season, because she doesn't, she doesn't really appear in Tokyo Ghoul... Yeah, she does. Yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, she she shows up for like one scene, and then she's more of a character in Re- yeah. Uh, no, right. Yeah, right, right. But I mean, yeah, um, Morgan Garrett does good, so good on her. And Arima, even with his new replacement, still doesn't talk much. Uh, I think he does more talking in Re than he did in either of the previous seasons combined. So accurate. So Alex Organ's departure isn't completely missed because he didn't really do all that much, to be honest. And Chris does an adequate job. Um, it's not really the most exciting character because he's very stoic and very just straight-faced, which is pretty easy to pull off. So both characters are okay. They're good performances for what they are. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was holding out hope. Um because I made predictions for Anima uh, originally. I was holding on and holding out hope that Alex Oregon would magically appear, but it was a long shot Um, (laughs) because schedules are a thing. Um, But anyway, um, in terms of Chris's portrayal of Anima, because honestly, I can't really say the portrayal. I should say Chris as Anima, because like Hardy said, Alex didn't get to really do or say much with the character in the first two seasons. Both... Chris and Morgan, they have to have, like, a guiding parental figure kind of guiding hand, uh, specifically for Heisei. Um, in Chris's case, his is very calming and, like, and is, like, and as a guiding parental figure, um, who is both a parental figure and a mentor for Heisei. 
Um, and seeing that per played out is very interesting because, or well, seeing Anima played out or fleshed out a bit more, period, is very interesting considering we don't get much in the first two seasons. Um, as for Morgan Garrett as Akira, I actually kind of has have to disagree that it's the same thing as the first two seasons. I think Morgan Garrett, um, after rewatching the entire franchise, specifically Rude, Morgan Garrett kind of got to relax a bit more as Akira. Because um, Akira was a bit more uptight in Rude. More uptight. Um, stick up her Exactly. More uptight, kind of a stick up her ass kind of thing. Very, very specific to like like procedures um, and methods and but it's a waste of waste of like precious seconds by like saying how are you what is going on saying what up <laughs> like that whole thing not specifically those words but you get what I'm saying um, so I think that Morgan got to kind of relax a bit more kind of got to open up a bit more um, specifically to high say uh, compared to the previous seasons and you also can tell that Amon's death, or I should say supposed death, um, does have an effect on her. Because it's pretty much implied that she does have a thing for him. Uh, from the first two seasons. Uh, and I think because of that, that's kind of made her relax a bit more, loosen up a little bit more. Um, and she's letting her walls down. Uh, but she does go back on her guard at different points, specifically that scene where she's talking to Heisei, uh, in the records room where he's doing research and he comes across Amon's name among some of the records. Um, that scene I think was very, very good between both Heisei, uh, as well as Morgan as Akita. But, uh, both these performances are a lot of fun. I'm just, I'm just finally glad we got to see more of Anima in the show. <laughs> Let's, let's, if you've never met me before, by the way, I have the hugest crush on Akira Mato, by the way. <laughs> like, I love, I love Akira Mato so much. She is, she is my waifu. Like, she is my wife you, in my You heart. say this all the time. Morgan Garrett was such, God, this is probably why Morgan Garrett probably also became one of my favorite actresses, too. I love, between, uh, actually, and I, I put it on here for a reason, between, um, uh, Rico and Akira, I love that. And I'm very happy you brought up the record scene. Because just when she has to console him, Hayasei. And I wish that they never cut some of this stuff out of the manga. And I, I keep bringing it up. She's kind of being told to, like, kind of manipulate him. Right, I forgot about so that. So that he stays under control. And she's like, it, it's like, act like his mom. Re act like his mom, Akira. And you can kind of tell that she is, but at the same time, she hates it because she genuinely does care about Heisei and the cues. And when she's like, you need to stop looking into that to protect him, but also to kind of keep him under control. Um, it broke my heart and I loved it. And Morgan just keeps on keeping on. And I love when she gets to play characters like Akira who are mature, but... and. And I'll say it, Akira Amato is, is an attractively designed character. But I like that she isn't, like, forced to playing this, like... Morgan Garrett kind of gets put into roles where she's, like, super sexualized mm. a lot. A lot of sex a lot of sex plot characters. Yes, and I'm very happy that this is one of the characters that is very beautiful and very, very mature, but she's not a sex bot. Um, 
also be shout out to the scene in of Rude A where she gets drunk off her ass. Uh... And I can't wait for I can't wait for uh, her to talk about her cat Stella, her 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 giant fat cat, <laughs> later in the series. Uh, Chris's Arima, um, I liked it a lot. I actually kind of liked it a little bit more than I liked Alex Organ as Arima, but I prefer Chris Waycamp as an actor. And I mean, over to Alex be Organ. fair, again, Chris got to do more than Alex. More than that. To which, by the way, dude, I am so excited for the next arc because guess what, buddy, it's your time. Um, and that's all I really get to say because I can't really say much more about Arima because Arima doesn't talk a lot. Though I do like the scenes, I like the fact that they apparently fight on his office table in, in, in his room, in his office at work. That was awesome. Oh, that'd be- so is it true that you really killed a ghoul with an umbrella? Yes, it was very durable. <laughs> is it also true that you were fighting in your sleep once? Fighting in your sleep? Well, maybe. <laughs> Papa- I love Papa Arima. Papa Arima's great. By the way, he really did kill a ghoul with an umbrella. That's great. Nice. Tokyo Ghoul Jack, bring it to the States. Um... That's the that's the Arima OVA. Nice. Uh, so we're gonna move on to our first set of cues. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I'm gonna go cry now. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so they are Psycho Yonobayashi, a a fat little niece. <laughs> basically a fat little gremlin who is only here because her mom sold her for money. Oh wow. Yep, legit. By the way, she's the oldest. I was about to say she really. I think she's, I think she's like in her twenties. She's twenty. No, she tur- She <sighs> turns twenty in the manga. The rest of them are nineteen, actually. Hmm. As of the start of the manga, because the manga does progress in time. Um, and then there is. I have to get his full name because I only wrote everybody. Isn't first name down. it's um? Hold on. I've got it right here. It's Ginshi. Gen- Genshi Shirazu, a rank three investigator, who is who became a um, one of the cues to pay for his sister's operation. His sister, essentially, by the way, they don't ever actually explain what the fuck is wrong with his sister. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, what it is is actually she has RC cells growing out of her face. So essentially, coming from that little mole on her is a giant cog. Oh wow! She's mm-hmm. is she a ghoul? No. No, she's human. She's human. It's, a, it's a disorder. Oh, wow. Uh, so he essentially uh, fights to get enough money to pay for her medical care. Uh, he kills the Nutcracker, goes through some uh, PTSD about killing her, and unfortunately <laughs> dies at the end of season one. <laughs> yeah. I saw this for the first time today. She's so I'm mad at so me about sad. this. I cried. I cried. I was like, no. Yeah, like he he honestly goes out like a fucking. He badass. goes out like a champ, but still no. And it is actually fucking heartbreaking. And then you get high Kaneki's reaction to it, and it's like, what the fuck, dude? And then they steal his body. Yep. That also happens. Then now Gary steals his body. So, uh, playing Psycho Yonobayashi is Sarah Wiedenhoff who I think everybody and their mom predicted as Psycho from the second you saw her character design. <laughs> I literally, literally, ever since I knew who Sarah Wiedenhoff was, I've had her as Psycho in my head. And playing uh, Ginshi Sirazu is one Damon Mills. Sarah Wiedenhoff, you will know as Sana in Alice in Zoroku, Kihara in Sugamomo, and Kyoko Kushida in Classroom of the Elite. Damon Mills, you will know as Kiba Shota in All Out, Sugoshi Sumino, the rat from Junie Tyson's Zodiac War, and Hombami Toshiro in Token Rambu Hanamaru, who is one of my favorites. 
let's talk about uh, Buzzcut Numaru. Uh, first of all, um, Psycho, I think you kind of have a, a sort of a um, a interviews with Monster Girls situation going on here with this character, in that I don't think Sarah Whedonhaf plays Psycho so much as she pretty much <laughs> is Psycho. <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, like yes. I think, like, yeah, the, I want to find her from her introduction in the manga because I don't think they could put it in this. Uh... Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, she really does have the Umaru poster. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Because. Uh, but I think she's like playing like Final Fantasy on her Vita or some shit when she open when they first like go together. Neat. Neat. No, I mean, yeah, it's just it's like one for one to real life. Because um, Sarah Weedhef is a very, very small little girl with a little trollish attitude, sort of like Psycho is. So, yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect casting, in my opinion. Um, and now we get to quite possibly my hot take for this episode. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Here oh, yeah. no. You have no doubts that I have appreciated Damon Will's work in the past. Uh, I think he is a voice acting wizard capable of producing voices that I did not think were humanly possible coming from someone like that. Um, that having been said, I think his voice as Shirazu sounds very forced, um, especially in the first 11 or so episodes. I, it does not sound like a natural voice to me. It sounds like a dude making a really gruff voice. Um, that having been said, episode 12 really improved, especially in the his, you know, I am a man moment near the end and in his dying words where he's, you know, laying there and just passing away. That was... That was that definitely was a definite improvement, um, but I, I, you're gonna hate me for saying this. I think this is probably one of Damon Mills' weaker performances in his overall career. Really? I'm gonna say Holy it. Holy shit! With the exception words. of episode twelve, yeah. I mean, it's just it. Like I said, it doesn't sound really like a natural voice. It sounds like a dude making a voice, and so. Hate me if you must, but that's what I think. I'm still a really big fan. I'm just, I don't really think that this is one of his better ones. Well, now that Steph is sharpening the knife over there. (laughs) No, No, we're talking about Mutsuki after this. No, we're talking about Udie after this. You forget that I like Udie as a character, even though he's an asshole. Oh no, get the kiddie pool ready. God damn it, no, not again. All right, Hardy, I'll get the backhoe so we can start digging Stephanie's pool. <laughs> Fucking hate you. Oh, God. God, who should I start first? Who should I start with first? I'll start with the gremlin child first, because Psycho is a goddamn gremlin child. <laughs> She's a nerdy little gremlin child, and... Especially... She kind of, she kind of breaks up the monotony of all of the serious, dramatic, like dark goings-ons in in this group uh, despite herself having actually a bit of a a story to her that we don't see in the anime. I mean, who else would you get to play a a gremlin child on on, in in this side of Texas? Like... uh, Emily Neves? Yeah. 
I said on this side of Texas. <laughs> Emily Neves. All right, you got me on that one. I forgot that she's a. I mean, hi, she's Nutcracker. Um, no, but I, I, I enjoyed Sarah's um as Psycho. She's a fun little gremlin child, and I feel like Psycho is fully aware of her weaknesses because it's made very, very clear. She's not the best fighter in the world, or the greatest, or the strongest fighter in the world. She has a lot of, it is fully stated though that she does have a lot of latent potential among the four Qs though. Yeah, I think and it's I proven that her her um, her power is the strongest. Oh yeah, no, her Kagane will like rip up a fucking room. Yeah, Psycho's a little, little gremlin nerdy child, uh, but she is but she's fully aware of herself and what she's capable of, or in this case, not capable of, because she's not she's not the strongest or the best fighter among the Qs, and it's made very very clear. Um, so having that to having that those sets of weaknesses to kind of work off of, uh, I think Sarah portrays that very well. Um, as for Damon as Shirazu, it's. I actually enjoyed it a little bit. I did not know that was Damon at first until I looked at the credits. And then I listened to it and I'm like, oh wait, this is a gruffer Jugo from Danbaka. Like, hands down. And Oh no. It's it's I think he, it's a lot of fun. It's the aside from um Yuri on Ice, this is the lowest register I've seen him go in a while, I think. Shiazu, he, despite being the the um, stereotypical, if we had to give him a stereotype, he's the tough guy stereotype, I guess you could say. Despite that, Shiazu is also very, very naive and can be easily manipulated as evidenced by <laughs> the countless times Urie fucking manipulates him for to do shit. Um... And I think it's a very interesting performance. Shirazu among the among the cues is probably not the strongest performance. I am gonna say that. Um, I still think it's a, it's a fun performance. And then I lost my garbage during episode twelve. I lost my absolute garbage. I saw him with the wound, and then I was screaming at the TV, and then I was sobbing. And the, no, I, I was starting to tear up. And then when Udie starts crying, I was done. <laughs> I was like, I, when the jackass starts when crying. When the asshole who does not give a shit about anyone else starts crying and actually gives a damn, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's like when but, Grumpy starts quiet, starts crying, it's no white. Yep, it's there, and then you're like... Except for Grumpy has his head lodged up his own ass. Udie X promotion, my OTP. <laughs> Yes, basically. But um, like among the cues, I, I, among the cues, I think these two characters and performances are not the strongest out of them. However, they are a lot of fun, and I do like them as new performances and new and these characters. And goddamn it, I'm so sad about Shizu. Ah! Anyway, while Steph goes and cries, I will try to make this as quick as <laughs> possible. Also, B, I've just learned that Fire Emblem Heroes is making a taco, another fucking Takumi, so there goes my money. Um, anyway, uh, Psycho Yurubayashi. Like I said, I have had Sarah Weeden have pegged to play this character since day one of uh, 
her creation in the chances that this ever got an anime. Um, she is absolutely perfect. Um, there, this isn't acting. This is just Sarah mm-hmm. Wienhoff. Well, it is acting because there's there's parts where like she has to cry and and yada yada yada. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. but there there it, it's a very thin line between Sarah and Psycho. Um, with with Urie, uh, not Urie, uh, with Shirazu, uh, Shirazu isn't my least favorite of the Q's performances. Um, Steph's gonna sharpen her knives at me. Actually. Um, <laughs> Am I? I actually really, yes. Oh god damn um, it! I actually really like it. Um. I think that his his talk with um, when he's talking about how he can't use Nutcracker mm. really got me. I thought it was fabulous. And, oh yeah, thank you for reminding uh, me. Like, I think Shirazu is really the only character where you see kind of like the PTSD side of killing a ghoul, right, of of killing people because he he was not he's not like Uriye who's. Everybody in his family, like his dad was a his dad was a an agent and all that all that bu- bullshit. But anyway, we'll get there. Um, I thought Damon played him him great. Um, it wasn't who I was expecting. I actually thought it was uh, Jason Lebrecht was going to be this character of all Me people. Too. Um, no, I thought Jason um, was going to be Udi. My bad. Yeah, I thought this was going to be Jason Lebrecht's character, but uh, no, Damon did him great and. It once again proves that Damon Mills does a lot of fabulous acting in ways that I never expected him to. So good on him. Uh, so with that being said, we are going to move on to our next set of characters, who are the other two cues. Uh, they are Kuki Uri, uh, Kukai Urie, a rank two investigator, uh, who was the Quinex squad leader until his assholeness got him uh, knocked down, and Shirazu became the leader. And Toru Mutsuki, a investigator, um, is kind of shy and very quiet. Oh god, time to time to brace this with tact. Um, yes, the anime never brings it up, but the manga does. Mutsuki is transgender. As of the point of this recording, the English dub uses the he pronoun from episode 1 to episode 12. The Viz manga translation um, does use he as well. I'm going to read his actual official character bio from the second volume of the manga. Toru Mutsuki, rank 3 investigator. His parents were killed by a ghoul and he decided to become a ghoul investigator. Assigned female at birth, he decided to transition after undergoing the Quinex process. So, that being said, Urie is played by Adam Gibbs. Mutsuki is played by Michaela Krantz. Adam Gibbs is going to be playing Masaya Hinata upcoming in Alcana. Four Rhythms Across the Blue, Hotoro Oreki in Hyoka and Garak in Black Clover. Also be if you've watched the Devil's Line episode, Lilac would kill me if I didn't mention this. Uriya looks exactly like Anzai from Devil's Line, who Adam Gibbs also plays. Huzzah! Michaela Prince, Michaela Prince, you will know as characters such as Kero in Cardcaptor Sakura, the Clear Card Arc, Kurtz in Interview with Monster Girls, and Ryu in Snow White with the Red Hair. This is going to take me a while. Urie is a butthole. I won't argue there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But that having been said, Adam Gibbs plays him very well. Um, Especially, I I think the performances in episode 12 are some of the best performances in the entire show. Uh, To the point to where characters and actors who I wasn't entirely impressed with up to that point all had the moment to shine. 
And when Urie finally has his moment where he breaks down and he's like emotionally distraught, um, that's when I think the he has the best performances uh, from Adam Gibbs. And uh, Mootski is a very, very, very complicated performance because uh, just like the character itself is very, very complicated. Um, and I think that Michaela Krantz is able to go in there and and understand that character and um, really put forth a a very good performance, a very good effort, and that really really balances out all the nuances and and um, it, it is feminine when it needs to be. It is also masculine when it needs to be. It strikes a very very delicate balance. So, yeah, I think both of the actors did very well. Okay, I'm actually going to start with Mutsuki as well. Because, um, yeah, if there's any character, I think probably to an extent outside of Kaneki, who is, who is full of complexity, it's Mutsuki. Mutsuki, I think, has the, mo the most, it, like, one of, if not the most complex um, stories and character arcs that he has to go through. And Michaela just, I'm just floored with it. It's because Mutsuki, like Megan was saying, is transgender. Um, but he is also, from what I'm gather, what I gather and what is going on with the story, Mutsuki is still in transition mode. Um, he's mm. still transitioning. Mm -hmm. So, with Michaela's performance, you can you can tell that there is enough femininity in the voice. You can tell that Mooski is clearly a boy, but there's enough femininity in Michaela's performance and in her voice that gives it that hint, that the that just little touch that it needs to kind of show that Mooski is more than what he appears to be, um, and especially during the um, auction arc where Mutsuki does have to go undercover as a girl. That's also a great story too, and a bit more complexity added to Mutsuki as a character, um, especially with all these eyes watching him. That scene in the club when they were un like undercover and trying to like get the Nutcracker's attention, he's just freaking out because of all these people staring at him, and they don't and he just doesn't want them to find out he's, like, actually a girl. And... Well, they're not actually a girl. They're a guy. Well... I, I get biologically female. Biologically female. There we go. Like, it's... 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 it's. I feel like it's Mutsuki's story, and in terms of his gender and his transition, personally, obviously, I haven't experienced this at all. Um... But I feel like Mutsuki, to an extent, and it's it's not a general representation of the transgender community, but you can see hints of, at least I think, hints of what the community can go through at times. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So in that sense, because of the complexity of the character, I think Michaela portrays that very, very well. Um, there's a reason why I asked Megan... Like, I told Megan I would be very, very disappointed if she didn't bring up Hansai from Devil's Line when talking about Adam Gibbs. Um, 
So if you watched the Devil's Line episode, you remember the comments I made about uh, Adam's performance of Anzai. If, for those who did not watch the episode or need a recap, basically, because in the same season, Budier and Anzai are the exact same character, and these two characters are essentially what Adam gives is mostly known for. That tone of voice, the, the kind of the stoic character, that very intelligent character. However, there's clear differences between these two characters and two different challenges that Adam has to go through with each of them. And, the case, and both of them have to do with how they are switched. Like they, ha they each have a little switch that needs to be flipped and each one is different. To recap, with Anzai in Devil's Line, that case, the switch is a primal instinct for him because if you're not familiar with the show, Anzai is a devil, AKA a vampire who doesn't really want to be a it's time to bone, <laughs> basically. Like, so the switch that Adam had to portray on that one and the challenge for him is that switch to a more primal instinct. Now, Udie, on the other hand, Udie and the conversation I didn't get to have during Devil's Line, I'm gonna bring up here. Udie's switch comes in episode six, the halfway point, where he and Mutsuki and Juzo are facing Big Madam during the auction. And Udie, after being stuffed in Big Madam's mouth, uh, proceeds to kick- And just hanging yes, out of it. Proceeds to kick her, like flies out of it. And then that's when that switch has to be flipped to a, and I, I'm gonna quote a tweet. I actually tweeted after watching this and I tagged Adam Gibbs in this. He had to go into a maddening, become a maddening, crazy, desperate, selfish person. That's the switch that Adam has to portray, and that's what makes this character very different than Anzai in the same season, when typically these characters, you see him as the same goddamn thing. And, because once that switch is flipped, oh my god, it's like... It's not a psychotic breakdown, but it's, he's, he, he, it's very, he's so desperate because the big thing with him is he wants to be promoted and get himself in a good position as a kind of revenge to the CCG for not defending his father and keeping him alive. And specifically, he takes it out on the Kuroiwas, um, which is very interesting in of itself. Fuck you, Alejandro. Basically. Um... So, please do not fuck Alejandro Saab. He's a good boy. <laughs> but, um, seeing that switch get flipped, and then the, res the immediate result after that, it's... I just felt that. <laughs> like, Udie is a bit of a dickbag. <laughs> like, not gonna lie, Udie is a bit of a dickbag. But once Adam flipped the switch for Udie and just went... God all desperate, it's all about me. Like, give me my promotion, like going nutty. Like, and the, and the, like the, um, the frames and the Kagane are basically like taking over and he's losing a bit of control and losing a bit of himself. Like, I was very captivated with it. I could not stop staring. I, my jaw was hitting the floor. And then 
kind of the bring in Michaela on this one too. What proceeded after that, where he's just kind of defeated in a sense. This is the first time you actually see Udie crying. And he's kind of curled up in a ball and he doesn't want to like be like show his face. Don't touch don't, me. I'm Don't touch me. I'm a bitch yeah, baby. Don't touch me. Like I I hate you all. And then stabs Moots. Fucking hate all of you bastards. Stabs Mootski. And then this is actually the first time in the series that Mootski was able to produce his Kagune. Um cuz he couldn't before. Give him a hug. And he just gives him a little Kagune hug and it's adorable. Hug. And then, and, just and, then, and, then Uri, and then Urie finds and then out Uri about figures the it thing. out. Urie figures out how, It's the first time they acknowledge it. It's like, you son of a bitch! Yeah, that's actually the first time in the anime where they actually acknowledge that Mutsuki is transgender. <laughs> like, is Urie's reaction. I'm like, what the fuck? is like, wait a minute. But outside of that switch, in terms of Urie as a character, Urie, aside from the switch and aside from being a dickbag for the majority of the fucking show... Um, I think one of my other favorite things about Adam's performance as Udie is some of the internal monologue comments he has in his brain. Sassy inner Adam. Snappy. Sassy inner Adam is great. I loved it. Um, it's like, it's like the inner Sakura, but he's sassy. But, um, yeah, it. Sassy straight boy. The two big things, the two big high points, I think, for Adam's performance of Udie is definitely when he had to flip that switch in episode 6 and then at the end uh, <laughs> and then at the end as he's oh, like Stephanie's crying yes. cause again the second Udie started crying I was done cause like he didn't give a shit about any of these, his other squad mates and then he's like don't you fucking die like, on what me what about your sister she's Ruth what about your sister and I was just done and then god I, it's what's what I'm really gonna be curious about is how his relationship to um, Kaneki is gonna play out. Uri is the best character in the franchise. I will not disagree with this. Like, <laughs> like Uri is actually one of the best developed characters in the series. I'm not. I gonna mean, lie. probably. I mean, <sighs> I like. I like him. Uri, I like him by the end of the series. I love Uri as a character, despite him being a dick in the beginning. And I and part of. And definitely part of why I like him as a character so much is because of Adam Gibbs. Um, I just love, I just love the performance, and I am so excited. To, especially now, considering what has happened at the end of the of this season, I really want to know how this is going to affect Odie and how he's going to change in terms of character. So I'm very curious, and this is this is probably my. I'm not going to lie, this is probably one of my favorite performances of the show for obvious fucking reasons. Um, but yeah. I talked on long enough. <laughs> I'm done. I was like, damn, I thought I was the Tokyo fangirl in this I'm podcast sorry, episode. I had to continue my conversation that I brought up in Devil's Dig Life, a okay? hole, dig a hole, dig a hole. It was relevant. Dig this a is hole, fucking relevant. Up. This is my life. Fuck you. I know, okay. Let me, okay, I wanna be, I'm gonna try to be as quick as I humanly can because I'm gonna probably spend a lot of time talking in the next section. Uh, Michaela Kranz does a really good job with playing Bootsky. Um, it is incredibly hard to come in and play a character who is transgender. Um, obviously, there are a lot of different opinions on this character, uh, even from trans people, and how, uh, like, so, like, I don't want to put any words into the community's mouth. Um, I think that the, the performance just in itself of Michaela playing a young man who is insecure and 
trying to uh, find his place on a squad when he is clearly the weakest link outside of a, a girl who does not want to be there. Um, I do wish that they would have kept some stuff from the manga in there, but what they did with Mutsuki was still really convincing, and I think Michaela got through it very beautifully without being... Um, without going too far in either direction, and I really do want to commend the writing and directing team for their handling of Mutsuki as a character as a, up to this point. They have done a really good job. Um, Adam gives us Urie is actually my least favorite of the cues. Um, Stephanie's going to go get her knife. I'm going to pull a juzo on you right now. <laughs> I, I, like, I do like the performance. I really do. But there are just some times where I think, I don't know if it's the writing or if it's just that Urie is kind of such an asshole at the beginning of the show. It's probably mostly that. That, uh, <laughs> that sometimes it's like, wow, I, I am not endeared to this performance at all, and it is a little alienating, but I think that's just Urie's character. Um, I just don't prefer him as a character at this point in time in the series. Uh, like I said, though, Urie becomes one of my favorite characters, though. So I'm really excited to see where Adam Gibbs goes with this, and I can't say any more than Steph already has about I Urie. I said too much. Um, <laughs> she said a lot for me. Um... So that being said, let's move on to our final our final group before the last things. We're going to talk about Kaneki Ken and Hayase Sasaki. Hayase Sasaki is a fucking moron. <laughs> but he's no, a Hayase sweet Sasaki moron. A, he's adorable. He's a sweet he's moron. A good um, Hayase Sasaki is a, a wonderful, adorable goober of a mom. Uh, he is the Q's mom, Chan, a dedicated director who is very, very smart. Act who can be very smart as he is dumb. Uh, doesn't actually try to kill his enemy. He tries to get them to surrender. Um, and he's also very unsure of himself. Kaneki Ken is a disaster. <laughs> um, that's an understatement. <laughs> Kaneki Ken has seen some shit. Um, <laughs> He is the original. He is the protagonist of the story. He is also Hayase Sasaki without, uh, with his memories, a tragic figure who has been tortured, maimed, nearly eaten multiple times, um, stabbed, kicked around, just sat, abused by his mother. Like, I was surprised Kaneki by Ken that. Has, oh by yeah, I way. never told anybody about that. Like, it, like Kaneki Ken has been through some shit. Um. He's also my number one husbando in my heart. I love him very, very much. He also, by the way, will look like a eternal 16-year-old for some dumb reason. <laughs> <laughs> Playing Kaneki Ken is Austin Tyndall. Playing Hayase Sasaki Austin is Tindall. Austin Tyndall. But wait no. a minute. And, wait, the minute. worst kept secret. <laughs> it's just, by the way, at this point in time, Stephanie, have you ever seen the picture of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other? <laughs> I think I have. Just pop that one up on this. If you can pop that up on the screen with Austin Tyndall pointing at himself. <laughs> oh my god. And just for measure, just like, just a little thing of Leah Clark on the side as young Kaneki, because we are going to talk about her as well. Uh, so, Austin Tyndall has played characters such as Jean Otis in Aka 13, Herlock Shlomes in Code Realized the Guardian of Rebirth, and Goro Shonen Dad Haircut Did Nothing Wrong in Starfleet <laughs> and the Franks. Austin Tyndall has played Joseph and Maria the Virgin Witch, Obi in Snow White with the Red Hair, and Karma Akabane in Assassination Classroom. This is Classroom. the joke we're going with right now? Yup! Yay! 
Leah Clark has played Ikuno from Darling in the Franks, Co Miss Kobayashi from Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, and Kentaro from Barakamon. Yes, by the way, I've been sitting on the fact that I literally got six credits for Austin Tyndall so I can talk about him oh twice. Oh my god, that is amazing. Hardy, go ahead. <laughs> well, where do you want me to start with first? Austin Tyndall or Austin Tindall. Or Leah Clark. <laughs> or yeah. Leah Clark. Um, the flashback... Austin Tyndall! <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, quickly with Leah Clark, let's get her out of the way. Um, her scenes were very few and far between, and so I really can't make too much of a comment on it. Uh, I honestly didn't know it was her. I figured it would be some other actress, but... Uh, it sounded like Terry doing to me, because I always get Terry and Leah mixed up, honestly. Mm-hmm. When they sound I, like when they played little boy characters. Yeah. But, I mean, it was fine. Um... Austin's performance as Heisei was very sweet, very genuine. Um, he, he, he doesn't... He, you can definitely tell there's a difference between him and Babyface original Kaneki. Because Babyface Kaneki was just like sort of like this little nerd. Yeah, and he was, well, he was, he was a baby and um, kind of a pusher. He was 19! What'd you say? Yeah, I know, I know, but I mean, he looks—he is nineteen, but he looks like he's twelve at times. But I'm not gonna lie. Oh my god! Like if you—you're on my Discord. If you ever want to see what he looks like at the very end of the manga, you will be amazed that this man is in his yeah. 30s. Yeah. But um, yeah, the difference between Heisei and Kaneki is that in this in this iteration, Heisei is just a very, you can tell he's different from baby face Kaneki because he actually has drive. He's actually mature. He's, he's, mm -hmm. he's a, a well-respectable young man. Black haired Kaneki is an a-hole and I don't kind of, I kind of hate him. <laughs> Black Reaper Kaneki is kind of an yeah, bag. I mean, okay. You've rediscovered, you, you brought back your memories. You've rediscovered who you are. Why are you, doing this to your friends like this honestly why are you acting like such a butthole why and his All betrayal be especially of skiyama near the end that just seems extremely heartless like i don't i don't know i i kind of uh, i feel like he purposefully let him go yeah well maybe but um but yeah, it's it's a commendable job to Austin Tindall for being able to play two completely different, but basically the same character, it, being able to play basically the same character in two completely drastically different ways, and um, yeah, I thought it was really good, it could, because we've we've sort of watched his transition from babyface Kaneki to. Um, Hard, battle, battle. We've gone through four yeah. iterations of yeah, this man. Yeah, baby face, then battle hardened, then genuine nice guy to complete douchebag, and um, uh, yeah, we'll get to see. Yeah, we'll get to see him develop even further in the next season, which I'm looking forward to. So, I mean, I gave him the best actor award in the first ever dubbies, and he certainly lived up to it. So that's what I have to say. Oh boy, uh, I'll I'll start with Leah as well because um, a lot of the stuff that Leah has to portray when it comes to um little 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 Kaneki here uh is obviously inside of Heisei's head uh, in his mind um because Kaneki is just kind of this Kaneki is so it the little Kaneki here is supposed to be his innocence um considering like he's 
all dressed in white, his hair is still white, and he's a child of all things. Um, you can tell that he's that this is supposed to be like symbolism for um, Kaneki's innocence, um, and his de- and he has a desire to not be forgotten. He doesn't want to be forgotten. He doesn't want to die. He's scared of dying. Um, the it, the most prevalent you see of that um, is also episode six, uh, where I also was like, holy shit. I'm just absolutely floored by this. I couldn't look away from that whole that whole interaction that Heisei has with with um, little Kaneki. I was just downright compelled, and I couldn't stop staring at the screen. Um, and this kind of goes, I guess, segue into Austin Tyndall. This is like, how many fucking personalities does Kaneki have at this goddamn point? Like, like four, five? Because we have. We have Four. Babe, yeah, that sounds right. We have Babyface Kaneki, we have white-haired Kaneki and Rude, we have Heisei, and now we're gonna have this fucking asshole. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this douchebag. Um, I guess we'll find out. Though, to be fair, that's one hell of a return of Kaneki, uh, like, yelling at Ito, shut the hell up. <laughs> like, that's one way to return, buddy. That's one way to wake up from a dream. Oh, shut the- I thought he was gonna say fuck! I know! I was like, I was expecting it too, and then it was a slight misopportunity, but, you know, whatever. Tyndall, in and of itself, in and of himself, in this series alone, in this season alone, has to play, like, at least three different personalities. Because he, the obvious one is, yes, is Heisei. Uh, the second one he has is when he wakes up and he's back to being Kaneki in episode 12. Um, the third one is the white-haired Kaneki that's in his mind that isn't Babby Kaneki here. That isn't the Leah Clark one. Um, and holy shit. <laughs> if this isn't proof that Austin's, t- Austin's range is scary, I don't know what is. Because play, it- it's like... I'm terrified that this man is going to develop multiple personality disorder now <laughs> with the amount of person. Oh, come on. This he has it. No. Oh, you mean, oh, you mean Austin? I mean not Austin, Kaneki. not Kaneki. <laughs> I mean Austin, not Kaneki. Cuz Lord knows like this season alone and the fact that he has to bounce around to these different personalities of Kaneki/Heisei is just downright insane and I have to commend him for that. Like um I, I, I love Heisei. He's an adorable little dweeb. He's very, he's very mature. He's very much a guiding hand to the cues. Um, he's also a dummy sometimes, uh, as proven on several occasions. So are those? So it's just ink. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, Dumbass. And oh, what are some of my other notes here? Because I wrote quite a few for Austin actually. Okay, in order. In order of my notes, I'm going to just go through it. So, the first one was Tyndall has to play so many sides in three seasons. Reese seems, seems to have, and this is like the first note I wrote, um, it has season, both season one and season two Kaneki mixed in, but add on top of that, that Heisei has a bit more maturity to him. Uh, and then, uh, Austin had me compelled all during his narration with himself. Um, couldn't look away and just... I really felt it. That was during episode six. Where else do I have anything for Austin? Oh God! Uh, my last note I wrote. Um, 
my exact words are Austin going back to Route A Carnegie was a bit of a trip, but he he is done taking your shit. <laughs> he is done dealing with your shit. <laughs> it was I'm like, holy shit. Um if anything, Kaneki is the one character that has the biggest through line, of course. Um, and obviously we all know that he has so much shit going on with him. And to see Austin portray all of this again while grow having the character grow, I, ha I really have to commend Austin on this. It's absolutely phenomenal. Like, it it's hard to really put it into words how much this both this character and i actually think austin as an actor have grown in the past few years with this show so kudos to austin on this i'm very i'm very excited to see where kaneki's gonna go but i'm also kind of iffy because this kaneki sounds sounds and looks like a douchebag and i'm not sure how i'm gonna feel about it the black reaper is the fucking worst kaneki personality there i've said it there's one part where they all are sitting in a room in his mind and it's kind of fucking great. oh great um like i said that that chapter is hysterical oh i can't wait to read it um, now. so god i i want to say a lot but we're also running really long as an episode and i do apologize for all the people who are watching i'll try episode. and cut as much as i can Austin Tindall is a fantastic actor, and I remember when uh, the first season of Tokyo Ghoul came out and it was revealed that uh, he was going to play Kaneki, I remember how skeptical I was, because this wasn't a person I didn't I knew very well. Um, needless to say, he has floored me ever since as specifically this character. Um, Austin Tindall understands, is one of the only, I think, three people in the world who maybe understands Kaneki Ken besides Suishida himself and Natsuki Hayane, who has played Kaneki throughout all of his iterations as well. Um, I do want to commend Leah Clark as the younger Kaneki that kind of starts talking to him and asks him to save him. And especially the one uh, in the last episode where they're talking and how yeah. he's like, I want to go out with a big bang before I go. And he's talking about, like, basically, Kaneki wants to, to, to suicide. Mm. Essentially. He wants to do something grandiose and then kill right. himself. Um, and, and that's what that Black Reaper personality is. It's his desire to do something grandiose and then for his friends and then kill himself. And I like the beginnings that you see of that in him. And I, I don't even want to say it's his uh, Root A personality. Because uh, his Brood A personality to me was essentially um, a... This is the way I've always explained this to people. The Brood A Kaneki to me is the middle finger to every character of Sasuke and Ichigo out there. Where, uh, especially Ichigo from Bleach to me. Where he's like, I'm going to do all the stupid stuff and turn into a monster because I'm going to martyr for my friends. And all of that, all of the friends in Bleach just accept it because, hey, Ichigo's really big and strong and we love him and... Um, in Rude, what you, Rude in, in the manga, what you get is uh, Toka smacking him in the face saying, nobody fucking asked for this. And that's that personality. And Austin walks this beautiful fine line as Hayase of blissful ignorance and joy and absolute terror and not knowing what he is. And that scene in the archives where Akira hugs him and he's just sobbing and he's like, you don't know what it's like to wake up mm -hmm. every day and not know who you are. 
And it's just... Austin Tyndall knows Kaneki as if he is him at times. And it's absolutely mystifying and terrifying to watch all at once. And he's one of the few actors, I would actually say, who's in a, who's been an actor in a franchise that is long-running that I can honestly say that 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 is his character. I don't even think I can say that about... Uh, like Bryce's Aaron in Attack on Titan, mm. or uh, Todd as Todd as Natsu. Like, I don't ever get that vibe from those performances, honestly. But I get that from Austin Tyndall, and it's just I love this character so much, and the level of beauty and grace that he brings while doing some absolutely shattering performances and screaming and raw emotionality is just to be held. This is to to date probably like might if if this is his legacy not being like 7000 karma clones <laughs> when you associate an actor with the character I'm always going to associate Austin with Kaneki. I know he is not Kaneki. Austin Tyndall is Austin Tyndall and nothing's ever going to change that. But fuck, if he doesn't walk into that booth and just inhabit that booth as if it is Kaneki Ken's own head. And I am so excited to get to see him do some of the shit that comes on later in the manga. And with that being said, uh, I guess, uh, Hardy, if you want to give your final thoughts. Well, I mean, I think I gave my final thoughts earlier when we were talking about the directors, is that it's well, it's a well acted, well directed, well written addition to an already well acted, well written and well directed um, series. I think it just slides right into the rest of the Tokyo Ghoul pantheon, and holds its own as another prime example it's a it is a very very good dub i kind of i also kind of said this when we were talking about the directors and writers um to me in terms of the dub i think this is the strongest season yet um despite season one having a good amount of emotional stuff going on with it too but um finally really getting to see a lot more complexity with a good amount of these characters uh, whether they are returning characters or new ones um, it's very interesting to see that progression in progression with both the story and the performances and everything like that and I'm I'm absolutely floored by how much this series is progressing and how how it's Oh god, it's hard to really it's really hard to put in the words. I think it's really I love it a lot. I'm I enjoy the direction, I enjoy the performances. It's probably one of my favorite dubs of the year so far. Um at least top five if anything. And I'm very, very excited to see where uh the second half goes when we get it in the fall. Except minus I don't I still don't know how to feel about Black Reaper Kaneki. <laughs> He kind of comes off as a douche, so I don't know. Especially when he was a, suddenly a douche to Udi, and I'm like, oh boy, this is gonna be very different. I don't know how to feel. Uh, yeah, I wanna. I guess I'll, I'm gonna try to be as quick as I can, and then I'll just do the uh, the wrap up stuff. Um, 
like I said, the first anime in, in this is my favorite anime of all time. This is my favorite manga of all time. It's one of my favorite cross-media platforms. Um, it is a series that has left a profound impact on my life, not only in the sense that it has caused me to meet 13 of my best friends, um, but it's just a beautiful series about uh, a lot of, it talks a lot, a lot of things of life, death, love, compassion, um, humanity, and it's beautifully taken care of by Funimation to this day. Um, I've never had a bad thing to say about this dub. This dub has some of, uh, while I may feel mixed now about the anime's adaptation, I, I can say nothing bad really about the dub at, at all. It is beautiful and perfect in a year that is full of very, very stacked dubs. Mm -hmm. It does stand out, especially among the sequels. Yes. Um, it, it feels like the team had never left it, even though it had been, God, what did Rude's dub come out in, like, what, 15? Yeah, it's been three yeah. years. Rude it's was, been three years. Yeah, it's been, th it's been about three years. And the fact that it felt like these people had never left the franchise is, is, is astounding to me. And um, obviously they're going to see it through to its conclusion in October. Starting in October, that should be done by January, by, by the new year, by basically four years from when the original dub of Rude came out, they will have seen um, the show through to its conclusion. Oh and that is a, and it, that is terrifying to realize and also kind of beautiful and holistic. Um, but that being said, I think we've said enough about this franchise and the show. Enough there's, for there's, our there's entire too much. Yeah. We're never We're never talking about Tokyo Ghoul again. We're Tokyo done. Again. Yeah. We're done. Um, unless, unless someone wants to do the live action for Summer at the Movies, but other than that, we're yeah. done. Um, that being said, if you would like to watch uh, Tokyo Ghoul, Tokyo Ghoul Route A, and Tokyo Ghoul Re, you can watch the entire dub, and I believe the sub. Yes, actually. All on Funimation. This is not a show, even though with the Crunchyroll Funimation partnership, this is not a show, at least in the North American region, that you can watch on both services. I believe outside of, outside of the U.S., you can watch the sub on Crunchyroll. Um, but if you're in North America, like a majority of us are for the podcast, you're watching this on Funimation or Hulu. Um, if you want to pick up the DVDs, you can buy both uh, Tokyo Ghoul and Tokyo Ghoul Route A on Blu-ray DVD Combo Pack. I believe coming out sometime this year is the Tokyo Ghoul Re uh, Classics Edition. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Route A Classics yeah, Edition. Yeah, what's weird is that Route A gets a Classics Edition, but Season 1 does Six, not. But, but not yeah. the original. But not weird. Season 1. Um, I have both of the nice hard box sets, and I really hope there's one for Re, so I can keep I up still haven't three. bought Route A. Um, hey, you can get a nice cheaper version coming Sweet. out later this year. Um, though, if, if you do buy Route A, one of the things I do suggest uh, for at least both seasons, watch all the commentaries. They're fantastic. Um, if you wish to read the manga for both Tokyo Ghoul and Tokyo Ghoul Re, as well as any of the light novels and any other products for the manga or uh, manga light novel verse, you can pick them all up from Viz Media. Um, the entirety of Tokyo Ghoul, it's 14 volumes, are available now. Tokyo Ghoul Re, as of the time of this recording, I believe is up to volume 5 out of 16. Yes. Volu I believe 16... I believe 16 is going to be the final volume. At the, at the time of recording, this volume 6 is currently up for pre-order coming out in August. That being said, if you want to follow Spaceman Hardy, you can follow him at Spaceman Hardy on the mm -hmm. Twitters. He posts goat pics, food, porn, Tifa, Lockhart, art. Um, if you want to follow Stephanie, you can follow her at Lilac Anime Review. Reviews being spelled R-U-V-U-E because she's not cre because she's so creative. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at QueenEra2. You can also hang out with Hardy, myself, uh, and Class of Spartan on the Funimation Discord and forums. 
Uh, if you want to follow the Dub Talk Podcast, you can follow us at Dub Talk Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Twitch TV, and YouTube. We also have a Kofi if you wish to donate to us to keep our uh, RSS feed running once we get that up and going. But with that being said, we have been at this for a very long time, and I am so sorry. I need sorry. to make some cuts. <laughs> Shit. Uh, Stephanie needs to go to bed. Hardy needs to go look at a picture of a goat, and I want yep. to pee. All right, well, we are so done. So with <laughs> uh, with that being said, I want to thank all of you for seriously listening to the entirety of the Tokyo Ghoul re episode. I have, honest to God, been looking forward to doing this since the anime got announced, and I am forever grateful to um, everybody who has ever worked on this project. Um, I know he will never find this, and if he does, um, God, I don't want to be crying in the middle of the night. Seriously, thank you, Sue Ishida, for creating this brilliant franchise seven years ago. Um, I know you just ended your manga this week. You have left a profound impact on my life, and I love you and your franchise, and no matter where uh, your life takes you or where Ken's story goes, I will forever be happy to have read and watched the adventures of poor, poor Kaneki Ken and his crazy-ass life. So... With that being said, good night, everybody, and Otaku. Good night, everybody. Keep it manly.